Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald face truth. I'm glad you're here, and I know why you're here. You're here because you know that you're going to get sourced, in depth analysis, you're going to get interviews. You're going to get a show that makes you think a little bit outside the box. Maybe we make you laugh. Maybe we make you cry. Maybe make you think. Maybe we do all those things within an hour. But I'm, I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad you're not somewhere else. You're making a choice by being here, and I appreciate it. That's what I'm saying. I think we all have to make choices in what we read, what we trust, what we watch. It's not unlike friendships. see people all the time who say, you know, uh, This friendship is toxic. It's not good for me. Or this friendship uh, is draining me. Have you ever had a friendship that drained you? I'm sure you have. I'm in a relationship right now with some other media members nationally that is draining. And it's a little bit toxic. I keep reading reports about the danger of the quote-unquote eventual collapse of the Pac-12 conference. I keep reading about the Big Ten back-channeling, trying to splinter apart the Pac-12 conference. And I got to be honest, it's coming from the same one or two media members nationally and almost no one else. And in fact, nobody else that I really trust is reporting any of this stuff. And it makes me wonder if we've got a couple of media members that are being used by a PR firm or by a conference or by somebody else who's got an agenda. Or maybe they're just guessing and hoping. The latest report comes out of CBS Sports, um, you know, and and it really does, I think, go a little chicken little on us. Pac-12 in danger of eventual collapse, reads the top of the headline. But if you read the story, there's nothing in there that says there's an impending collapse. There's nothing in the report that that even sources or identifies an individual of saying that there's going to be a collapse. In fact, it's all rooted in industry scuttlebutt or, you know, unnamed sources or casual observers or industry observers and industry critics. And in the end, I'm left thinking, this is journalism? Because it's really not. I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you make a choice to make this radio show part of your day. I'm never going to give you nonsense. Uh, I'm never going to give you anything that I haven't verified and double and triple checked. I am a little weary with having to run down these kinds of reports with my sources inside the Pac-12 conference, inside the management team of the Pac-12 conference, uh, at the various universities in the Pac-12 conference. I have since the beginning of... Uh, All this reports, if we go back to late June, I have spoken with 10 of the 12 athletic directors in the conference at length. So only two of the ADs I have not talked with, and everybody's saying the same thing. Everybody's saying the Pac-12 is staying together. 
I have spoken with uh, multiple university presidents who all echo the same talking points. I've talked to consultants who have no dog in the fight who tell me there's just no more money in the Big Ten. If the Big Ten or the Big 12 were going to come for the Pac-12, the only reason and the only way that they would do that is if there were money involved in it. But here's the dirty little secret, guys. Here's the dirty little secret that is involved with everything we're seeing in the college sports and the college football landscape in particular. See, it behooves the Big 12 Conference if the Pac-12 did somehow implode. It also potentially could marginally benefit the Big Ten Conference. But the destruction of the ecosystem would not help the college football playoff. It would not help the Pacific time zone, the mountain time zone, the central time zone, even the eastern time zone, uh, by giving it a better college football product. All of this really does is it raises doubt, I guess, in the public's mind as to the strength of the Pac-12 conference. If we're being real, the Pac-12 lost USC and UCLA, who announced in late June that they were joining the Big Ten Conference and they were doing it for more money. We all understand why USC and UCLA would have done that. We all know that, hey, 72 to $80 million a year in media rights revenue is double what the Pac-12 Conference was projecting, at least double what the Pac-12 Conference was projecting. And so it is a financial move that every one of the 12 Pac-12 universities would have seriously considered, if not jumped at. Like, I don't, at, at the root of this, I do not blame USC and UCLA for deciding on June 30th or wherever they decided before that date that this was in their best interest because it's a financial decision. It's just business. It's not personal, blah, blah, blah. At the same time, I think it's ludicrous for national media members, a couple in particular, to keep parroting the idea and the agenda of the Big 12 Conference. The Big 12 would love to have Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah. They would. But the only way they're getting those four schools is if they can somehow cause the Pac-12 Conference to splinter in pieces. And so everything that they have tried to do in the last couple of few months has really been aimed at to you know attempting to create instability in the Pac-12 conference, doubt in the footprint. Uh, they are hoping and praying that the Pac-12 conference doesn't come to a media rights agreement with ESPN or one of the streaming services. It's really a pathetic game that is being played, and it has no regard for the ecosystem that is college football or college athletics. Frankly, that's the part of this that, that ticks me off more than anything. ESPN not reporting any of this. The, the reporters at ESPN, they're not going there. None of it. Uh, the Athletic, Nicole Arbach, the national uh, college football writer for The Athletic, Stuart Mandel, the editor of the college football site on The Athletic, not reporting any of this stuff. Not going there. Uh, so it tells me that what you have here is you probably have some kind of PR firm or maybe you have uh, an entity out there uh, like the Big 12 Conference that is planting this kind of stuff, even the numbers in the story that I saw today, and it's really not even worth you reading. Even the numbers are ludicrous, and they're, they're skewed towards the Big 12 Conference and making the Big 12 Conference look great. So as I read the story, I'm looking for sourcing as a journalist. I'm looking for, hey, who do I need to call? What's the news in this story? And really what I read today from CBS Sports was an embarrassing story that 
sort of hinted at the Pac-12 conference and in other cases outright said that the Pac-12 conference was, you know, vulnerable and teetering. And in the end, it, it just sort of circles back to the idea that, hey, you know, the Pac-12 may get a deal done anyway. Nothing changed, nothing to see here, no news. It bothers me because I know when the public is being manipulated. And I'm not saying maybe the reporter is doing that intentionally or the reporters who are involved in these stories in the last few months. They may be, their sources may be telling them things that are just not true. The manipulation may be happening two sources removed from uh, wherever they're getting their information. But I'm here to tell you that I will never give you information that I haven't vetted. And when I write at johnconzano.com, you're getting sourced, in-depth information from the horse's mouth. I'm not going to suppose I'm going to make the call. I'm not going to guess. I'm going to make two other calls. I'm not going to say, well, this could happen or might not happen. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to do that to you. I feel like there's so much of that going on, and it's not just in sports. It's in politics. It's in business. We talk about the loss of civility as a culture. Um, I feel like uh, our media has lost its way as well, and I think you know that. I think you're well aware of that. You shouldn't have to make a choice uh, about which set of facts that you're going to believe in the world of sports uh, depending upon who you're reading or who you're listening to. It's a set of facts. The Pac-12 appears galvanized. And in fact, I'm hearing that from all corners of the Pac-12 conference. The remaining 10 members, they're standing shoulder to shoulder right now. Phil DeStefano, the chancellor at Colorado, came out in the Boulder Daily Camera and said, hey, we're all moving in the same direction. I've had two other university presidents say, hey, there's nothing to all this Big 12, Big 10 stuff. We're all moving in the same direction. Did Oregon and Washington back channel? with consultants and, you know, explore whether or not they would fit in the Big Ten? I have no doubt. I also have no doubt that Boise State is doing that with the Big 12 and the Pac-12. I, I also have some skepticism about whether Boise State will get in. I think Fresno State's doing it as well. San Diego State's doing it as well. SMU is doing it. I get called by these entities too. But I don't run around and report, oh, they're back-channeling. Because I know that back-channeling happens every day in business. It's part of business. If there's something to it, I'll let you know. But I'll tell you right now, what I think is going to happen is I think ultimately we're going to see the ecosystem settle down as it did after the presidents and chancellors uh, you know, uh, talked about going to a 12-team playoff and approved the expansion that's coming in 2026 or maybe sooner. That sort of settled down college football and college athletics in general. But here we go again with somebody reporting, oh, the Pac-12 is facing imminent danger. Dun, dun, dun. It's like, you know, it's like sweeps time in the news world when, you know, bad weather or, or oh, a hurricane's coming. All of that. The hurricane really is coming. But in the end, I'm left thinking that, you know, I'm just glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. Because I know you're coming here because you know you're not going to get BS with a capital B from me. We've got a great show today. Ricky Williams, Heisman Trophy winners coming up next. Later in the program, we go to Salt Lake City, check on Josh Newman of the Salt Lake Tribune. Jonathan Smith, Oregon State football coach in the happy hour, the 5 o'clock hour. We got it all for you, but it's going to be sourced. It's going to be in-depth. We'll make you laugh. We'll make you cry. We'll make you think. All of that in this hour. Leave it here. <laughs> 
Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. I assume you care about the accuracy of your news. I assume you care about getting sourced in-depth information. I'm not, I'm not lowering my standards here. Our next guest, Ricky Williams. He's been on this show before. Heisman Trophy winner. Played 11 seasons in the NFL. This guy uh, was uh, just legendary as a college player, as an NFL pro bowler, led the NFL in rushing. He is uh, going to be in the state of Oregon in the next couple of days. Why is Ricky Williams going to be in the state of Oregon? Well, he's here to talk about it. Ricky Williams joining us now. How are you, man? Welcome back. We had you on the show once before, I believe. Yeah, I feel like I'm becoming a friend of the show now. There you go. Ricky Williams, friend of the show. Uh, so you're, what are you doing in Oregon? Thursday, Friday, you're going to be here over a couple of days. Uh, tell us what's, uh, what's yeah. happening. Yeah, so it's, it's, a monthly, it's a monthly visit, you know, and, and I'm really starting to feel like Oregon is a second home. So I, I launched, about a year ago, I launched a, a cannabis lifestyle brand called Heisman. Uh, in California and Oregon. And so I've been coming up every month, really supporting the, the brand and, and building community. And what the wonderful thing about Oregon, and I, I found this out a couple of weeks ago, is that I think it's over 80% of the adults in in the state of Oregon consume cannabis. You got so, yeah, so it. It's, 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 a, it's a perfect community for me. You know, my mom always said, go where you're <laughs> celebrated, not where you're tolerated. <laughs> That's right. Ricky Williams celebrated in the state of Oregon. You might be governor by the time this is over. Um, you're going to be here Thursday and Friday. I'm going to give some of the places you're going to be if people want to check it out. But you can also go to Heisman.com. It's H-I-G-H-S-M-A-N. Heisman spelled Heisman like hi. Uh, Ricky Williams will be at Plain Jane Dispensary in Portland, 1 o'clock on Thursday, Mr. Nice Guy on Holgate at 3 o'clock, Flight Lounge in Oregon City at 5 o'clock. Friday, he's going to be on the Oregon Coast, Cannon Beach, Gerhardt, uh, Astoria. Have you been on the Oregon Coast before? It's my first time, and I'm, I'm stoked. I can't wait. I want to I get your report of what it's like uh, when you get there and, and check it out. But you'll be doing meet and greets, autographs, giving away apparel and merchandise. I think it's cool. Uh, you've transitioned. You've pivoted into an entrepreneur and and business guy. Did you anticipate that when, like, when you were in college? Did you think, hey, I'll play in the NFL for a while, and then I, I got to have a life after the NFL? Did you know what you were going to do? You know, I think my my downfall really was that I didn't. You know, is that you know when I was a kid, I thought you know I'd, I'll be rich and famous and I'll be a, a great athlete, and then I'll retire and I won't do anything. You know, that was, that was, that was the goal. But as I started to move into it, I realized that I'm a, like a passionate person and I, I actually like to, to do stuff. And so it's, I never imagined myself getting, getting into business ever. You know, I thought it would be the last thing I do, but because of my journey to the NFL, I actually have a message. I have something to say. And so I feel compelled to, to use my platform to, to do something and, uh, and make a difference in the world. Ricky Williams with us, former Heisman winner, NFL running back. Let's go back to, like, you know, you leave high school, you get into the NFL. I remember it was a, a big deal was made about, you know, Ricky Williams, you know, endorsing cannabis, you know, back in the day. Now, attitudes have shifted, changed. We know better than anybody in the state of Oregon. 
much more accepted. How does that strike you now in looking back at all the controversy and all the questions you had to answer all those years ago? I mean, it's really related to what I just said. It's It's been a difficult past, but it's given, it's given a, a different dimension of meaning to my life. And, you know, at one point there was a lot of shame around my cannabis use in the NFL because it was against the because it was against the rules, and we didn't have the understanding we have we have today. But you know, I, I stayed true to my to my guns, and I followed my heart. And so I feel I feel a sense of accomplishment. You know, that's something that I truly believed in, and, and I and I stayed true to myself. That the world is starting to to figure it out, and I think it's put me in an advantageous position to be to be a spokesperson for my brand for the for this plant. And I think connected to all of this is a spokesperson for mental health. And it's really taking the, the difficult experiences I've gone through and overcome and turning them into, into something that can be beneficial to other people. It's really interesting to sit, hear you talk about mental health. And for people who don't know, you were diagnosed with anxiety disorders and, and you know, you struggled with that. How hard was that to, to have that going on while you were out and so public-facing as a player? You know, at the time I was going through it, I, it didn't dawn on me that it was that it was a challenging thing in the public. I was just so relieved that my mental health was getting better. So it was, you know, and I, that's what I've learned about myself. And I think a lot of people who who enjoy cannabis they they share the same sentiment that the that my internal world, my subjective world, is more important than my external world. Like, you know. And I feel like as a football player, I sacrificed my feelings, how I felt about things, for for the paycheck or for the fame. And when I started consuming cannabis, I started paying more attention to my mental health, and it got better. Um, and I'm happier now, and I think that, you know, that's a useful message for the world. Yeah, you, I think people need to hear that, and I think you sound happy. Ricky Williams is with us. 10,000 rushing yards. Do you miss football? You know, it's, it's an interesting question. I usually quickly say say no, but, you know, because of this, funny, because of this brand, and it's, it really is around cannabis, but also it's, it brings in the sports lifestyle because that's where a lot of my fans come from. And so I've, I've been doing a lot. Like we had a, we have a Heisman house, a lounge on the Metaverse, you know. And so I had my Oculus on, and I was in the lounge watching Monday Night Football. <laughs> and I was into it, you know. So football is always going to be a always going to be a part of me but i just become so busy i can't follow it the way i want to but this brand is helping me stay connected to sports help us understand what you know we all watch football we watch thursday night football sunday monday night what do we not know that you know because you were in that world for so long well i think the main thing that people don't realize is is the expertise that that they're they're watching on the field you know, I think the assumption is that these guys are natural athletes, you know, and it's true. We, we are natural athletes, but the, the attention to detail, every step we take, every move with our head, the timing on every play, it's, it requires a lot, a lot of training. And so it's a, it's a real job, you know. It's like nine to five, you know, and then you go home and you do it again. So I, I think just the, the amount of time and effort and energy that goes into the quality of the product that that the NFL puts on the field. Yeah, can the same be said of cannabis in that industry? I mean, we're talking about now, as it has gone mainstream, the expertise, the science behind it, the people who are, uh, you know, launching new brands and new products. I mean, it, it feels pretty complicated and, and advanced. 
Yeah, it's it's similar, but it's different because it's so new. You know, it's it's so new, and and so the expertise, and as the taboos are starting to die, you're having you know scientists come in. You're having people come in, and they're asking. They're not asking why. You know, doing experiments to see why is this bad. They're actually asking questions about like what is this and how can it help people. And so I think you're definitely starting to see more expertise come. But also you see a lot of people that, that is like we call it the green rush, a lot of people rushing because they see that because they see the opportunity. And so it's it's tricky and that's in the beginning of any industry. It's tricky trying to you know, to to weed out the wheat from the chase and, and figure out what, what true quality is. And I think that's another reason I felt compelled to, to enter the industry because you know, I'm not I'm not after making a, a dollar. I'm after putting a quality message and quality product into the world. And because of the position and the power I hold in the industry, I can help keep the standards at a certain level. You having fun with this? And, and by the way, when you walked from football, I think part of that was it, it just wasn't any fun anymore, was it? Right. You know, and I, you know, I was good at it. And sometimes, you know, we think because we're good at something that we're supposed to keep doing it, even if it's not challenging us or providing joy anymore. And so, you know, I wake up and there's a new there's a new challenge to face. And it keeps me, it's funny, you know, I, I just read an article the other day that was talking about how, you know, entrepreneurs who, who start companies that in midlife are more successful than entrepreneurs that start when they're in their 20s. And the analogy the article made was they made an analogy to athletes in saying that athletes age out. But mm-hmm. in, in the entrepreneurship world, you, you know, as you get older, you have more wisdom, you have more contact, you have more savvy, you're, you're more risk-averse. And so, you know, I realized that I was aging out of football and I wanted to keep growing and expanding. So I had to, to develop other interests and other skills that would allow me to keep thriving beyond my football career. It's a great point. Like, you know, you're in your prime at what age as a player, but you're not, you know, mentally in your prime probably because you don't know what you don't know when you're in your early 20s oh. and jumping into the league. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I had a moment when I retired in 2004. I was I was traveling through Australia, and I found this beautiful piece of land that I wanted to purchase. But in order to buy the land, I had to become a citizen. So I said, great. And so I started filling out the paperwork, and I got to a section that basically was asking, like, what are you going to do when you come to our country? And so I went down this list, and there was like 150 different occupations, you know, skills. And I, and I got to the bottom of the list, and I realized, I don't have a skill. I, you know, all I know how to do is play football. And so I think it's tough for, for football players, a lot of times in their 30s, sometimes late 30s, leaving football, and then they have to start over. Yeah. It's rough. Ricky Williams is with us, former NFL running back, 10,000 yards in the NFL rushing, Heisman Trophy. He's now an entrepreneur. His brand is Heisman. You can go to Heisman.com, H-I-G-H-S-M-A-N.com. He's in the state of Oregon. He'll be in Portland and Oregon City on Thursday you can see his itinerary. We'll tweet it out at 750thegame.com, and we will tweet it out on my Twitter feed as well. Ricky, before I cut you loose, man, do you still have dreams about football? Like, you know, I talk to some players, and they say, I still dream. I see the hole opening up. I, I know where my first step is. Other guys say, nope. The minute they walked away, they stopped thinking about football. Do you have football dreams? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's in me. It's in me. You know, I, sometimes I'm – Walking through the living room, and I do a spin move on the couch, and I stiff arm my one-year-old. 
I do it gently, but yeah, it's, it's, still, it's still in me. One thing I wanted to mention about um, Thursday night, uh, yeah. tomorrow night, there's a Dolphins watch party at Flight Lounge. Um, my Dolphins, three and zero. Okay. If you're if you're in the area, come check check out the game with me. Flight Lounge in Oregon City, five o'clock to eight o'clock. Ricky Williams will be there in Oregon City. I'll I'll put out the whole itinerary, Ricky. I know you got to get going. Uh, before I cut you loose, um, you know you. What's next for you? Are you staying with this? Is this what you want to do for the next decade? Is it undecided? Like, you know, give us a give us a you know a path. What's your what's the runway for Ricky Williams now? Yeah, so you know, there's 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 this company Heisman, and but my my baby, my love is a an app that I launched called Lila, and you know, uh, my my passion in life is really astrology. You know, it's really helped me understand myself and help other people understand themselves. So I've created this app called Lila, and and I really see that as, as what I'm doing for the rest of my life. All right. How do, how do I find that app? It's L-I-L-A. Is that right? Yes. You got it. That's All right. It. Yep. I'm, looking, I'm, looking at, I'm looking at it now. All right. We'll check it out. Ricky, hey, I wish you the best. Uh, welcome to Oregon. When you run for governor, let us know. We'll get you on the show, help you get some votes. <laughs> We're friends now. I'll be back. All right, Ricky. <laughs> Ricky Williams, appreciate you, man. There he goes, off into the uh, into the unknown. Ricky Williams walked away from football, and sounds like he's pretty happy about it. Stephen, what did you take away from that interview with Ricky Williams? Yeah, I mean, for uh, you know all the reports that it was just because I remember back then, like back in two thousand four when he retired, and you know he went on his little journey to figure out who he is. It was so scrutinized, right? And it seemed like he just didn't like football, but he still, like he said, he still has it in him, right? Like he still thinks about it all the time. So I really thought that was so interesting. Like he really seems at peace with himself and understands who he truly is, which is awesome. There are only 30 running backs in NFL history who have rushed for 10,000 yards. He's one of them. But I remember in 2004, it was shocking when he retired. And part of it was, you know, everyone was like, oh, you, you could be the you could be the Dolphins' all-time rushing leader, 300 yards away from Larry Zonka. Like he didn't care about that. He could have come back and he could have got that in three games. Like he didn't care about that. He had a Heisman Trophy. He broke Tony Dorsett's record as college football's career rushing leader. And then he went to the NFL and he had five or six years where he had thousand plus yards. He had one year where he had 1,800 rushing yards. Um, and then. I think part of it is with these athletes, and not just Ricky Williams, a guy like Barry Sanders comes to mind as well, guys who retire early, Gail Sayers, Barry Sanders, Ricky Williams, they retire with something left in the tank. We all, we all criticize it and we don't understand it because we all probably come at it from a position of if we were in their position, like we would be grateful to have the paycheck and be on the stage and whatnot. But I think very few of us know what it is actually like to be on that stage, to go through the, you know, the sort of the physical and mental grind that it becomes. And let's be real, Ricky had enough money after playing 11 years in the NFL that he, he didn't have to work. So I remember I ran into Barry Sanders in a, in a hotel casino after he retired, and I had the same kind of feeling like everybody was going, why would he retire? Why would he hang it up? He could, all he has to do is play three more years. He could, he could set this record. He could set that record. But the truth was, and I now look back and I remember seeing Barry Sanders. He looked happy. He looked like, you know, he was carefree. He was happy. He was on to, like, I think a lot of times if, 
athletes don't have anything else they feel like they have to offer the world, then maybe they hang on too long. And we see it a lot in sports and boxing and baseball. See guys that hang on. Tom Brady's hanging on because they don't know what else to do. And I feel like Ricky Williams in this case, at least he knows who he is now and he knows what he wants to do. Yeah, and he talked about it how, you know, when he was younger, he thought he was just going to play football, be famous, make a lot of money. But he realized that's not who he is. Right, like yeah. he has a whole different meaning of of life and who he is. So, uh, you know, it's awesome to just see anybody really have that realization about themselves. I really, uh, I thought about Alex Molden, the former NFL defensive back, friend of mine, friend of the show, and he's been on multiple times. And he's, we have a similar conversation that we've done that we've had on the show where he talked about getting out of football, and then you know, you know, he was an NFL player. Like he's, you know, a lot of times when NFL players show up to events. NBA players, famous athletes, rock stars, they show up to events and every door opens for them. Everyone's happy to see them. Everybody's, you know, inviting them and welcoming. You know, they probably don't, they're not used to getting a bill when they go into a restaurant, right? Well, you know, he finishes his career and he applies for a job. And, you know, during the job interview, it becomes evident to the woman who's interviewing him that, you know, and he's shared this story multiple times on air. I don't think he would be upset at me for that. But, it, it, you know, she says to him, you don't know who you are. The person doing the interview, you don't know who you are. And the truth was, he didn't. And it sounds to me like Ricky Williams didn't know who he was either when he walked away from football and went on that sabbatical where he, you know, was soul-searching and listening to Bob Marley and probably using cannabis. Like, I, I don't know what Ricky was doing, but Ricky came through the haze, didn't he? He's going to be in the state of Oregon in the next couple days. Uh, his website is, again, Heisman.com, H-I-G-H. S-M-A-N, like Heisman.com. Ricky Williams, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, later in the program, Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune, Jonathan Smith, Oregon State football coach. We got a lot to talk about today. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I don't know about you, but I'm mesmerized by this uh, robot that the engineering kids at Oregon State have have uh, invented. We talked about it yesterday on the show. Um, it was, uh, you know, part of their design to make a robot that would break the Guinness World Record in the 100 meters. And uh, this thing looks like an ostrich. I tweeted out a video of it running on the track at Oregon State. But good on the kids at Oregon State. Like, you know, they're trying to do something, trying to change the world. I like that. I also am a little bit terrified about where it's all going. I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit concerned about um, robots running in the Olympics. I'm not saying that, that that would ever happen, but when you see this video, your mind starts to wonder, like, okay, what are they trying to do here? Um, but uh, there it is. It's pretty cool. I tweeted it out. I don't know if you guys have seen this thing. Have you actually seen this thing run yet, or did you just hear about it? Uh, I saw the video of it. Yeah, I agree with you. It's a little, a little terrifying because I, you know, it makes me think like if these robots are chasing me for some reason, like I have to stay in somewhat shape, right? Like they're right. making robots that are gonna attack me and get me. So, yeah, for that reason, I'm a little terrified. 
You need to start running. We all need to start running. <laughs> yeah, I got to start running just to run away from the robots. Do you think you could break a Guinness World Record? Do you think we could find a world record that you could break? Because I, I kept thinking about this. First of all, I didn't know there was a world record for a robot running 100 meters. But uh, I went on the Guinness World Records website, and you can apply to be a record holder. So there's a whole application process. There's a, there's a, a way to, uh, you know, you read through all the information. You uh, try to find something that nobody else has done or maybe something someone else has done, but you think you could do it better. And then you apply to break a world record. Uh, to, you know, can, and they have categories like food and drink and gaming and the human body and marathons and mass participation and money and sports and strength. Like if, when you go into sports and strength, it's stuff like, you know, We've seen this before, like how many burpees can you do in uh, in a 24-hour period? Or, you know, what is the world record for a marathon? What is, you know, those kinds of things. But I had a neighbor, Anne-Marie, who was in her 90s a few years ago. And longtime listeners of the show may remember Anne-Marie coming on this program because uh, it was around about the time I had one of my knee surgeries. And I know this because I was doing the show from home and I was laid up in the studio. So I had my leg up, I had like this ice machine on it, and I was probably hopped up on painkillers doing this radio show, and what I started doing, I thought it was a good idea at the time, is I started, ha I had my regular guests on, but what I started doing is I said, heck, I'm at home doing the radio show, might as well have a neighbor on. Like, they're right here, what are they doing? So I started asking my neighbors, you want to come on the show? And uh, I had on, uh, you know, a neurosurgeon who uh, was an interesting interview. And then I had, I had another guy who's just, he was a retired sales guy, brought him on to talk about what retirement was like. I got around to 90-something-year-old Anne Marie who told me that she was a Guinness World Record holder. And now I was very interested in this conversation, interviewing her, a world record holder. Well, she showed up for the interview, and I told people, as they, I said, the front door will be unlocked. I'm not coming downstairs from the studio to, to get you because I have uh, had a knee surgery. So just come on in. Gave them a time. Sure enough, Anne-Marie came tiptoeing up the stairs and came into the studio, and she was dressed to the nines. Now, I mean this with all due respect, but there's something about people who are in their 70s and 80s and 90s. When they dress up, they know how to dress up. They came from an era where people dressed up to go to sporting events. You look at all the video clips of the 1950s, even the 1960s, 1940s, certainly of baseball games, and what do you see? You watch the Ken Burns series, you see people in suits and ties and hats, dresses, going to the ballpark, dressed up like it was, like it was a cathedral they were going to. Well, Anne-Marie came in, she was dressed to the nines. All made up, her hair done. I'm, I have no doubt she went to the beauty salon that morning and got her hair done. She also brought a framed uh, 11 by 16 Guinness World Record certificate. Very official looking, uh, really cool looking. And she spent the better part of 10 or 15 minutes explaining to the audience what world record she set. And by the way, she set the world record at like age 88. Now you would think it was... Oldest woman to run 100 meters? Uh, oldest woman to mow her own lawn uh, in, in record time? I don't know. It wasn't any of those things. What Anne-Marie had figured out 
at the Guinness World Record website was she figured out which world records were vulnerable. She found one she thought she could break, and she went for it, and she, and she did it. She holds the world record, the Guinness World Record, for the most number of stickers applied to a car. That's the world record. She's proud of that thing, but she said, I'm not leaving planet Earth without being a world record holder. So she went out and bought a jalopy. She went out and ordered a whole bunch of, like, thousands and thousands of stickers, and she spent the better part of a month applying stickers to this car, took pictures of it, took video of it, and sent it into Guinness, and they said, you're the world record holder. Now, I don't know how many stickers she put on that car, but Anne-Marie was awful proud of being that record holder. So, Stephen and Sean, I want you guys to think about a Guinness world record that you could break. We'll talk about it after the break. Plus, our big splash coming up. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. All right, where's your world record? What are you going to do? My neighbor, she set a world record. Steven, Sean, you want to go down to the record books or what? Yeah, so I've been doing research. I, you know, I, I actually took the entire commercial break to see which ones are the most vulnerable, and I, <laughs> one of them stood out to me. And maybe I'm in over my head with this one, but tell me, tell me, I'm wrong. Most saltine crackers eaten in one minute. What do you think the record is? Only one cracker can be eaten at a time. It's like four. No, it's more than that. But I was going to say two. <laughs> really? You guys think that low? Have you ever tried that though? It's hard because it's of the texture of it. It's impossible. I've tried it. Well, no, don't say that. I want. I want to hear. I want to see Sean go for it. Ten, uh, I, I do too. Ten is the record. <laughs> I, I don't know. Oh like, no way! Man. You can't. Can't you get eleven? You could get eleven. I know. I Can know. you eat a cracker in six, in five six seconds? Yeah. It says no drinking allowed. Has been described as quote tasting like a and then something I'm not allowed to say on the radio. Um, okay. So I don't know. I that one feels kind of vulnerable. Only ten saltines. Why don't you try? Why don't I'm you start with eater. one? Start with one. See how long it would take you. It's hard. Trust me. What it's is hard it about saltines it. that makes it so difficult? Because all the moisture in your mouth gets absorbed by the cracker. Yeah, you pretty, can't. You can't swallow. You can't chew. Yeah, yeah, you can't swallow it either. I think you could do it, Sean. Do it. <laughs> Give it a shot. How about you, Stephen? You got a record you well, want to go after? I've actually talked about this. I don't know what the record is, but. Um, and it's kind of weird, but I can take my shirt off really fast. I would love to have like a timer on it. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. With, like, but not like just like a dry fit shirt, like a shirt that actually is pretty well fitted on you. I can just take that sucker off so fast. It is amazing. It's impressive. My wife has recorded me numerous times doing it. Wait a minute. So you, it, let's just say you have you have a shirt on. Yeah. How long does it take you to get the shirt? I off? mean, it's you know point one. Just really? Rip. Yeah. Can you demonstrate this right now? Could you do it right now and let let Sean kind of give us a play by play of it? Yeah. Hold on. Okay. Wow. Okay. So he's standing up. He headphones are off. Hat is off. Okay. Oh my goodness! He took that off so quickly. What did he, he do? He kind of his, grabbed. Yeah. He grabbed like his neck, and just the entire shirt just came off, and like literally exactly what he described. And so, Stephen, is it yeah, putting it back on. on that's quicker, or is it taking it off? Mm. Because right now he's kind of slowly putting it back on. Fascinating. Yeah. This is, no, I he, don't know if we've ever had really anything impressive. more impressive. 
That was yeah. really impressive. And it's funny because we have uh, we have open windows now, so all of Alpha Media just saw what he did. Oh, man. That's impressive. Uh, yeah, if, I right. get, if I get reported, it's your fault, John. All right. So you d- you take off a shirt in like a second. Yeah. And also the, the other ones was, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's impressive. So do you think that if, if Sean had one saltine cracker, how many times could you take your shirt off and put it back on before he could eat one cracker? Ooh, I need to practice putting it back on. That's the problem. <laughs> it's the putting back on. Yeah. Can't get dressed for, for a damn. I but just, he can take a shirt off like anybody. If there's guys like Joey Chestnut out there that haven't broken the saltine, how could I? You know, like they're oh, stop, some really stop with talented. the negative talk. Come on. <laughs> like, how is Joey Chestnut not beating this ten saltines? Yeah, you know, but you this, don't know. Yeah, you don't know. You haven't, you, haven't you ever wondered? Like, you know, I'm sure people in our audience have wondered. Like, you know, what if? You know, you had had voice lessons at a younger age. What if you had picked up uh, a musical instrument that you never got around to? What if somebody had worked with you pitching? Like, you could be in the big leagues. You could be at Carnegie Hall. You could be, you know, you could have a Grammy record. Like, you might be the Usain Bolt of saltine cracker eating. Yeah. And we don't know it. Yeah. It's similar to Ricky Williams. Haven't really found, found who I am yet, right? Maybe it's right. saltine cracker eating. There's a few basketball ones, because uh, Dude Perfect, you know, Amazon Prime, they're on them all the time now. But my ki- my kids, they watch them, and they did a whole video of breaking world records with basketball ones. There was a couple I felt like I could have broken. Um, there's one where it's the world's longest uh, shot while sitting on the floor. I feel like I could do that one. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another one where, now this record got rebroken again, but is the most basketball free throws in a minute made by a pair of people. So you have two people in one minute, and the record's 46. I feel like if me and you know my brother, who's an unbelievable shooter, I think we, we get 46. All right, here's a record. A here's a record I know I could break, but I, I'm not going to break it. Uh, two Ohio radio hosts broke the Goodness World Record for the longest radio show interview. They interviewed each other, which had to be riveting. Uh, and guess how long the interview went? 48 hours. 25 hours. A modest mm. 25 hours, 35 minutes. Now, I, I, I don't want station management to hear this because I don't want to break this record. That's not what I'm about. I'm not into that. I don't want to be on air for 25 straight hours. It wouldn't be good. Uh, but it strikes me as that's just people talking for 25 hours straight. Having a conversation. There has to be some kind of rule about, like, you can't pause. There can't be dead air. So it just, it has to be 25. Plus, you you try, you try fall asleep in 25 hours, right? Unless I, you're just I, pounding coffee. I don't know. You've stayed awake for that kind of time. But it, w- what's left to talk about I after know. 25 hours and 35 minutes? What are you talking about? Saltine crackers? <laughs> like, where do, where do you go? But you run out of content. I saw one on YouTube, and it was most high fives given in one minute. And what this guy did is he went to a track and he just had a ton of fans there in the infield, and he just ran 100 meters back and forth, just high-fiving people, and he got a ton of high-fives, and I feel like that one's breakable if you if you get the crowd necessary. Now, I know one that's unbreakable for me, especially. I saw this during the pandemic in 2020. Uh, this guy, he rapped for 33 straight hours. Oh, oh my goodness. And I listened to what some of it. rap about? It, it was bad. I listened to some of it because, you know, by about, you know, the first five minutes he was into it. And then by about hour five, he was basically just like naming things in his house. So he was like, oh, I see a computer over there. Now I see a TV over there. And he was just doing that. It was here's a, here's a here's a record that should be in the book, but it's not recognized. Andre the Giant um, drove drank uh, 
119 12-ounce beers in a six-hour period. 119. Solid. Um, it's not in the record. They don't recognize it, apparently, because uh, it could be dangerous. Mm-hmm. But he drank standard 12-ounce bottles of beer, nothing fancy. Six-hour period, he drank 119 of those. Yeah, normal person does that, and they die. Yeah. So they don't want you trying that. So now, they don't they don't put things like that out there. Now, John, I'm working on the video of uh, that my wife has. I told her to send it to me, so I will tweet it out. Oh, so nice! So I can see the the shirt taken off. Yes, we all want to see this. I'm not ashamed of my dad bod. <laughs> the dad bod is in full effect. There we go. It's part of it. Brings us to our big splash. This is uh, this is good stuff. I hate to to deviate from it, but let's go. The one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. But the big splash. Well, the Hurricane Ian is headed into the Tampa area. The game remains scheduled for now. The game I'm talking about is the Chiefs and Buccaneers. The game is supposed to be held Sunday night. But the NFL has selected an alternate site in case they have to move it. That alternate site would be U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis. It's a contingency site. That stadium is available because the Vikings will be in London to play the Saints on the same weekend. It's only a contingency, but the Buccaneers have relocated players, coaches, and some of their families to South Florida. They're practicing at the Miami Dolphins facility. Playing in Tampa remains the team's preferred choice. But Todd Bowles says, look, uh, we can't control outside forces. Andy Reid, he said his team will be ready to play wherever the NFL schedules the game. So for now, the game is on in Tampa, but they have an alternate site. It would be not be the first time the NFL has moved a game for weather reasons. Most recently, 2021, when Hurricane Ida forced the Saints to change their week one location against the Packers, and they played that game in Jacksonville. I want you to leave it here. We're going to Salt Lake City next. Josh Newman joining us to talk about Utah and Oregon State. The Utah machine, how locked in are they? Are they looking ahead at all? We'll find out next. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. It's a big radio show. This is kind of big-time guest list today. Ricky Williams, Heisman winner on the show. Jonathan Smith, Oregon State's head football coach on the show. Our next guest, I got to be honest, no offense to Ricky Williams or Jonathan Smith. I'm more interested in talking to Josh Newman of the Salt Lake Tribune. Does a fantastic job on Utah. He's the go-to. You want to know what's going on with Utah? Good follow on Twitter. Fairly new father. So, you know, he gets some street cred on this show. All moms and dads get street cred on this show. But Josh Newman knows what's going on in Utah, and Oregon State's headed to Utah. Utah will also play USC coming up on October 15th in a game that everybody has circled on their calendar. Josh Newman, welcome to the show. How is fatherhood? Let's start there. Uh, fatherhood is good. You know, it's been fun. It's been, uh, exciting. It's been frustrating at times. Uh, but it's been awesome. Look, as as long as this kid keeps smiling and keeps laughing from year to year 
everything's going to be all right. Gets better and better, man. But tell me what you didn't know months ago that you now know cold. Oh, you got to stick to a nap schedule. You know, this kid really was not napping during the day for a long time. And at first, I was willing to trade the no sleeping during the day because we were getting like eight hours of sleep at night. But now the kid is starting to nap, and you have to keep him on a schedule, right? Two and a half, three hours, whatever it is. If you get off schedule, it's going to be a bit of a rough afternoon, potentially a rough evening for mom and dad. Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune with us. Native of Long Island, New York. Long Island. Man, you're a long way from Long Island in Salt Lake City. Yeah, just a little bit. Uh, I, 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 I'm still told that I do have the New York accent, which makes yeah. me happy. I don't, I don't want to lose the accent. Uh, people around here still kind of treat me as a carnival act. Um, but, you know, the people have been great, mostly. I'll say that. Yeah. Give me an idea. Utah fan, you know, they had some success last year. They beat Oregon a couple times. They win the conference championship. They go to the Rose Bowl. Was Utah fans satisfied with that, or did they change, or did you did your job become like more annoying because you know there hadn't been that kind of success, or there had been? How did the Utah fan handle last year in your mind? I mean, look from my perspective, I mean the job is the job. Whether you go you know ten wins and go to the Rose Bowl, or you're five wins and you're going into the off season, I don't think my job really changes that much. I, I just kind of have to roll with it. Um, I don't know, like Joe Average Utah fan was obviously very happy with what happened last season, um, you know, going to the Rose Bowl. Obviously, you know, the subplot to last season was obviously the tragedy between, you know, Ty Jordan's death and Aaron Lowe's death in season. You know, those things kind of became a rallying cry for this fan base. Um, but look, again, you know, fans wouldn't trade what happened last season for anything. Obviously, you know, a landmark year, finally getting over the hump, winning the Pac-12, going to the Rose Bowl, etc. Um you know what? What was the expect? You know the expectation this year, right? You look what was coming back between Cam Rising and Tavion Thomas and Brant Keithy and eighty percent of the offensive line, and the secondary was healthy. So I think, I think you know the average Utah fan was really on board with you know they can win the Pac-12 again and they can go to the Rose Bowl again. But you, there was this other subsection, and I kind of exasperated this. I really thought going into the season that the college football playoff was a, a reasonable expectation, right? You had a lot of humps to get over, right? It would have helped if they'd won at Florida. And I'm not saying that the college football playoff dream is dead just yet, but going into the season, going through the spring, going through the summer, uh, there was definitely a, a subset of fans that had kind of circled the CFP as, as the goal, you know, and that's not an every year thing for Utah, but with what Utah had coming back, that had certainly turned into at least part of the end game for the fan base. Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune with us. Everybody picked Utah to win the Pac-12 at the beginning of the year. Then came week one. They go to Gainesville. They lose to Florida. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a theory out there. Is it possible that we're going to look back at week one and go, you know, that was a good loss for Utah because it locked them in they got about business. They didn't want to lose a second game. Is it possible that becomes the narrative? I'm actually thinking it could be the exact opposite, that that could be a bad loss. Because, look, if we're sitting here in two months and they, you know, they win the Pac-12 and they're, you know, whatever they finish. Look, if they finish 12-1, and one, it's going to be hard to leave them out. Now, if they finish 11-2 and, and they get left out of the playoff, 
we're going to be looking at that Florida game a certain way, right? We're going to be thinking, at least, look, I don't speak for anybody else. I'm going to be thinking about the last drive and getting to the six-yard line and rising, just staring down Dalton Kincaid and trying to jam one in there and getting picked off. Rising, Rising's legacy at Utah was cemented last season with what he did. He can play like a total donkey for this season, and he will still be looked upon as, you know, this, you know, the savior, so to speak, of last year's team. What he did is, you know, forever. But again, if we're if we're looking back on this season and it ends a certain way, I think we're going to look at that Florida game as, man, that was a missed opportunity, and that and that interception is a is a throw that he's going to want back. I don't necessarily disagree with what you're saying, but I think it's going to go the complete opposite direction. Personally. Yeah. If they lose another game, that becomes it. Uh, we're talking to Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune. Uh, again, nobody's gone undefeated in Pac-12 play since Oregon did it in 2010. Um, I like I like this Utah team. And now that I've seen USC up close, I see some flaws. Um, do you see flaws in Utah? You see them up close all the time. Where are the flaws? Look, was the Florida game an aberration from the stance of they, they gave up 280 rushing and Anthony Richardson looked like Michael Vick reincarnated because Anthony Richardson has not looked like that since. And Florida has not looked like that since. So is it has this run defense turned the corner, right? You have to take into account the large disparity of opponents that Utah has played. Okay. Beyond Florida, you know, you beat up Southern Utah, you beat up San Diego state, you beat up Arizona state. You held them to six yards in Tempe the other night, you know, Oregon state coming in here to rice Eccles, I think we'll get some answers about what this Utah team really is. So, you know, are there flaws? Again, the run defense, let's see him play against somebody real. Uh, the wide receiver position has not panned out like people had hoped. I think Devon Bailey has taken a legitimate step forward. I think they still need more out of Solomon Enos. I think they need more um, out of Money Parks in the slot. I don't know that there is, again, this is going back to August. My opinion from August to now on this has not, has not really changed. I don't think there is any, like, dire flaw that they can't overcome, but I think there are still questions. They are, you know, pretty deep at pretty much every position. I don't think there's anything dire. I don't think there's anything that, you know, that cannot be fixed or cannot be improved. But as we head into October here, I definitely think that there are still questions with this Utah team. Josh, uh, you know, Cam Rising, you mentioned him earlier. I want to focus on him just a little bit here. Did he regress at all, or is he? did he just have a bad moment in that Florida game, and he's been terrific ever since? You know, that's a great question. That's something that I've considered. Um, you know, the, the interception at Florida, that's one thing. Um, the end of the first half at Florida, he overthrew uh, receivers on consecutive possessions late in the first half. You left points on the field. There have been moments where he has been inconsistent, certainly more inconsistent than he was a year ago. But then you look at the, at, at the totality of what these four games have been, and he's been mostly very solid. Okay, He is completing 69% of his passes. He's got 10 touchdowns against two picks. Okay, One pick, again, was at Florida. He got picked off at, at Arizona State. Bad throw, fine. So he's been solid. Okay, this is still a run-heavy team. They are running uh, at 58% of the time here through four games. Rising has not been asked to do a ton. 
But then I find myself, again, thinking about rising and thinking about these gains, and I can't put my finger on it. There is something off. And, again, maybe it's the inconsistencies that we weren't seeing last season. There is something missing, and I cannot totally put my finger on it. I, you know, I watch, Again, I've watched all four games. Nobody's watching it closer than me. I don't know what it is. He's been really good. He's been solid. The numbers are solid. He's doing what is asked of him. But you watch Rising, there is something not completely there, and I cannot fully get a grasp on it. Honestly. The, the next three games for Utah, it's Oregon State at home. It's at UCLA the following Saturday. And then the big one, back at home on October 15th, USC and Utah at Rice-Eccles Stadium. Is there a chance Utah in the next two weeks – peaks ahead you know this team and the psychology and the mentality do they peak ahead or do they keep their head down and focused on what's in front of them you know based on prior history I, w- I would go with the you know with the latter that they're going to you know stay focused but look this is the social media age and all these guys are on social media and they're on their phones and look they're young people they understand what's at stake they understand what's coming it is difficult to not look what's coming right it, it's a home game if you take away the Oregon game last year, uh, it's the biggest home game that most of these guys will play in their careers, just given the opponent, given the potential stakes, uh, maybe game day shows up. So, you know, that is up to Kyle Whittingham and Andy Ludwig and Morgan Scally and the whole coaching staff to, you know, again, reel these guys in, you know, refocus everybody. Um, but, you know, again, prior history, going back to last season, even two years ago since I got here, the, you know, the staff has done a good job of, of – of refocusing guys and concentrating on, you know, on what is the task at hand. Look, Kyle Whittingham on Monday was asked a question about the month of October, right? Oregon State, UCLA, USC, they go to Pullman on a Thursday night. And Kyle shut that down. He, you know, it could have been coach speak, but he was essentially like, look, I don't even know who we're playing in, in, in October. I'm all in on Oregon State. That's the focus. So, again, young people, their phones, social media, it's hard not to look ahead. I think most of the responsibility there falls on the staff to reel these guys in and keep them focused on what's happening in front of them right now. Oregon State, uh, you know, went punch for punch with USC, and I think if they got better quarterback play, they win that game. You, you, and uh, the rest of Salt Lake City, I'm sure were tuned in for a number of reasons. But what do you, what do you think of Oregon State? And you, you saw it last year. You saw Utah. You know, a couple of block punts at Reeser Stadium. Utah got pushed around a little bit in that game last year. What's your takeaway on Oregon State, Josh? You know, I think there are similarities to what this Utah team is. Um, I, I think they're well-schooled. I think they're pretty physical. I think they want to run the ball. I think they want to stop the run. And, again, that kind of mirrors what, you know, what Kyle Whittingham has, has tried to do, obviously, o- over a long period of time. You know, the fact that the game last year in Corvallis got to, you know, 42-34, that, you know, that struck me as a, as a very high-scoring game between two football teams that, you know, that quite frankly play defense generally at a pretty high level. So, um, look, we know based on last year that Utah is capable of, of losing this game. Um, obviously, you know, the Oregon State personnel is not what it was last season. You know, B.J. Baylor killed them last year. He, he's no longer around. Um, you know, they strike me as similar. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, you put if you put Utah's 22 next to Oregon State's 22, I don't think anybody would argue that, you know, that Utah isn't better than Oregon State. I mean, can it be that simple? I don't know. Um, is there a payback factor, a revenge factor? 
yeah, you know, we were talking to, you know, some of the assistants and some of the players this week. Those guys have not forgotten what went on in Corvallis last year. Um, and I agree with you. You know, Utah got beat up up front on both sides. At the same time, you had one drive die inside the 10. You had another drive die inside the 5, you know, that came away with no points. You had a block punt um, taken back for a touchdown. You had a second block punt that got returned but got called back for a penalty. So even, even though you got pushed around up front, if you score on one of those drives and don't get a punt return for a touchdown, you still win that game. So it's not like Utah didn't have uh, ample opportunity to win that game last year. So um, interesting, you know, interesting game. You know, it's not USC, but I've, I've certainly had this one circled for a while just based on what, you know, what happened last Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune, is our guest. Josh, uh, before I cut you loose, I'm getting feedback on your phone, buddy. Uh, before I uh, cut you loose here, do we have Josh Newman? Did we lose him? Yep. Sounds like we lost him. I'll let him go. I We were pretty much done anyway. Wanted to ask him one more question, if we can get him back. But, uh, I, I look, I think there's a danger... A little bit of a danger. We got him back? All right, let me grab him here. Oh, sorry about that, Josh. Uh, let me sorry just ask that, you one thing before you before you go. When you I look at USC, it's okay for us to look ahead. Like Kyle Whittingham's not going to get mad at us. Uh, <laughs> I, I look at USC. I don't see a team that I think can go into Rice-Eccles Stadium and win unless something dramatic changes in the next two weeks. Injury to Cam Rising. Caleb Williams suddenly starts playing different. USC shows me something. You've seen a little bit of USC. What is? What are you feeling about that game? It's it's tough. It's, I I go back and forth. I think going into Rice Eccles, nobody wins at Rice Eccles. Okay, Utah is twenty two and two at Rice Eccles, dating back to the start of eighteen. Okay, one of those losses was to Washington in eighteen. Uh, when they went to the Rose Bowl. The other was in the 2020 opener, right, the COVID opener, when you uh, when Utah was just decimated by COVID testing. Um, it's very hard to walk into Rice-Eccles and win. In general, it is exponentially harder to walk into Rice-Eccles in a, a potential night game. Teams just don't win there at night. Um, I think Caleb Williams... Caleb Williams is probably the best, most capable quarterback Utah will see all season. Part of me goes back to the fact that, again, Utah let Anthony Richardson do anything he wanted. Was that an aberration? I think so, but that is part of the story right now is that they allowed Florida to do that to them. Um, you know, Jordan Addison, uh, you know, Clark Phillips or J.P. Broughton will be on Jordan Addison. That is the matchup to watch. And, again, kind of going back to the run defense, are we going to let Travis Dye go crazy? I don't know, like Utah's run defense is playing really well. You know, if you're asking me right now, three weeks before that game, who do I think? I'm, pro I'm probably taking Utah. But, again, some things have happened that at least lead me to pause to at least ponder what we're really going to be looking at in three weeks. Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune. I'll see you in the press box on Saturday. Good to talk to you, man. Travel safe, John. Appreciate it. There he is from Salt Lake City. Anna's popping in the studio next. Leave it here. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
did about 12 minutes of interviewing, 15 minutes of interviewing uh, Ricky Williams earlier in the show, Heisman Trophy winner. If you missed that interview, grab it. Uh, I only am pointing out the time because it fell woefully short of the Guinness World Record for longest interview ever, 25 hours, 35 minutes. A couple of Ohio-based radio personalities set that record. You know what? I'm happy to let them have it. Anna's popped into the studio. Anna, here's what we're looking at right now. Uh, Sean is going to try to break the Guinness World Record for most saltine crackers consumed in one minute. (laughs) Steven can take his shirt off in what might be less than a second. World's fastest (laughs) stripper is, I think, the record that he would go down at. Is that what it would be? Yeah, the tweet is going out right now. I'm just tagging everybody. (laughs) Okay. Okay, tag me. Goodness world record for world's fastest stripper. Uh, he apparently can take his shirt off in record time. I have to see this to believe it. Uh, Sean has seen it. Um, then, Anna, what record would you set if you were going to set a Goodness world record? Um, I think that I could top this South African woman's record that she just set, oh, actually. Wow. She set... An astonishing record of devouring 4.26 ounces of chicken feet in 60 seconds. I could top that. Uh, I think I'm going to get sick. (laughs) I've seen her eat chicken feet, guys. See? See? Yeah. First of all, that's not out of the question. It's kind of a tainted record because there's a limited... Population that would be interested in eating a chicken foot. There's a limited record for anyone setting a world record. It's a little different than a saltine cracker, though, wouldn't you admit? It is. When you acknowledge a chicken yeah. foot. There's a lot more variables when it comes to eating the I, chicken feet. I don't understand why you like chicken feet. I don't <laughs> get it. And for people who don't know, it's a delicacy. Anna, if we're in like a dim sum place or a Chinese restaurant that has chicken feet, her eyes light up. I had chickens growing up. I, I watched them walk around in the chicken coop, and never once did I have a foot fetish for a chicken and say, oh, I would love to eat those feet. <laughs> it's not my thing, Anna. You have, you have a bit of a chicken foot fetish. The key to this is that only one chicken foot is allowed to be eaten at a time. You can't, like, snatch up a whole handful oh, and yeah. eat multiple feet. You'll get disqualified. Seems like a real – the saltine rule is the same rule, one cracker at a time. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Uh-huh. I, I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe you go for that one, and Sean goes for the saltines, and then we call it a day. <laughs> hey, uh, I want your opinion on something here. Uh, CBS Sports had a big story today that I I just shake my head at. Okay. Um, the Pac-12 is in danger of eventual collapse as the Big Ten considers further expansion, comma, Big 12 interest looms. Clearly, the headline is uh, geared at search engine optimization. Okay? Mm. It's not geared at reflecting what's in the piece there's also a photograph or a piece of art or an illustration or a graphic that goes with it showing the pac-12 logo on the middle of a football field and they have cracked it all up like it's ready to splinter up a lot of dramatics and a lot of theater yeah i read the piece underwhelming no sourcing no uh nobody on the record um Nobody else reporting this. ESPN's not reporting it. The Athletic's not reporting it. I'm not reporting it. But it basically just kind of supposes a bunch of things that could happen. And then in the end, it says pretty much that, like, well, maybe nothing can happen. 
You know, maybe maybe nothing happens with this. I, I just don't feel like this is news. And I've been crowing about this since the beginning of the show, Anna. Like, you know, part of what I'm preaching on this show and at, at johnconzano.com on the website where you can read me is you're going to get sourced in-depth reporting. I'm not going to put crap out there. And this story just feels like it's tossed against the wall and, you know, let's see what people think. That's uh, problematic. Can I ask, is it a news article or is it a column? It's a news piece. It's presented okay. as a news piece. Okay. presented. As, and I ask that because I think it's important to delineate between something that, you know, presents as an article reporting facts versus something that is like purely commentary. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like I, I read you the headline, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So third paragraph to the end, I just want to read this. A different industry critic stressed that there's no strategic reason for the Big Ten to expand further. In fact, that person thought expansion might invite lawsuits from slighted programs and possible scrutiny from the federal government. It's it's basically like, hey, everything I wrote earlier, eh, might not happen. And I have another person who's telling me it's, you know, it, to me it just feels like like we could do this all day long. I could write a story saying the Big Ten is, you know, but I don't want to. I don't want to just throw stuff out there. Mm-hmm. It's really disappointing. So why do you think it's happening? Is it because, like we've talked about, when there's a, a lack of information that people just start supposing things? I think, uh, I think there's a couple things going on here. I think it, it behooves the Big 12 Conference mm -hmm. to have some instability in the Pac-12. We've, we've heard George Klyovkov talk about the grenades that have been thrown from the Big 12 footprint. This one uh, still has the pin in it, but it's a grenade. Uh, I, I think what is happening here is people who are interested in seeing the demise of the Pac-12 are out talking. And this is where I give the reporter a little bit of leeway. Mm -hmm. If the reporter's being told by a credible source, this is happening. The Big Ten is coming for the Pac-12. Mm -hmm. They're going to take four teams, and that's going to cause Colorado, Utah, Arizona, and Arizona State to go to the Big 12. Like, if someone's telling them that, the, the, the responsible thing to do is to then run, chase that down. Mm -hmm. You know, go after it. Mm -hmm. Find a source that will talk to you about it and find out if there's truth to it. Don't just report it. And what I think is happening is you probably have a crisis management team or a consultant or a PR firm that's working in the middle here who's whispering a lot of things whispering. to him. Yeah, a lot that's of people. exactly the words. The, yeah, yeah, the word I would have I mean, no, I, it happens to me. Yeah. Like, I will have people who have an agenda who say, hey, you know, the Blazers are uh, they're going to move to Seattle. Yeah. I don't turn around and write a piece saying the Blazers are, you know, source says the Blazers are going to move to Seattle based on that. I would turn and I would talk to the Blazers. I would talk to people at City Hall. I would talk to people in Seattle that would be in the know as to whether or not a team was coming there. I would, you know, talk to stakeholders and interested parties that have contracts with the Blazers that are predicated upon the Blazers being in Portland and go, hey, are they trying to back out of any of these deals? Like, I'm looking for at supporting evidence. And, and if I don't have that, I'm not reporting it because if I don't have that, it ain't happening. That this, is that is an important part of the process. I think that part's being left out. You think so? Yeah. I okay. think ESPN, The Athletic, 
myself, John Wilner, a lot of other reporters across the country read that story, probably reached out to people. I did. And the response I got in the Pac-12 footprint was, there they go again, Big 12. Yeah, it's interesting when you read an article like that because you really have to, like, think about, okay, who does this article benefit by this, you know, being leaked out? And yeah. I'm putting leaked out in quotes. Like, there's somebody, like you're saying, there's somebody with an agenda who 100%. wants this out there. 100%. And it is, it is vital for journalists to go and chase that down and try to verify it, you know, with multiple sources, especially if these are unnamed sources that are providing this kind of information. Yeah, and a lot of people I don't think understand how that works. But here's the bottom line. There's different kinds of sourcing. I don't want to get too far into this because I think it would put people to sleep. But <laughs> Uh, you know, it, there are people who are first party, you know, they have knowledge, direct knowledge of what's going on. And in, in, let's just use the Pac-12 as Primary an example. Primary sources. Primary source, direct knowledge, involved in meetings, knows what's going on, that will talk to you. They will because they trust you. Right. And they'll say, here's what's really happening. And they'll give you the good and the bad of it, and you can tell if they're trying to sell you. Yes. Okay. You can tell because if it's too rosy, you go, "Come on." Yeah. Like, you know. But they'll, you know, they'll give you the good and the bad of it. Then there are secondary sources, maybe consulting firms, consultants, whatever, who, you know, they got a dog in the fight. They're getting paid by a conference or a school to perpetuate an idea, or you know, there may be a firm out there that it, whose aim it is is to get. Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah into the Big 12. Mm -hmm. Like the Big 12 may have hired a firm and said, hey, your job is get those four schools into our membership. Right. There's value in that for us. Right. So they pay a couple hundred thousand dollars to this firm. What does that firm do? Starts by talking to some trusted reporters. Hey, you know what's happening? Mm-hmm. Pac-12. The, the Big the Big Ten's coming for them. They're going to break them up. You, but you can't just turn around and report that. You can't. I'm. I. Uh, I. I. I am disappointed because I. I felt like in the last eight years or so, we've all had to make decisions when it comes to politics on what we trust, what facts we're going to accept as facts. It's like that whole world of political reporting became so agenda driven that, like, I just felt for everybody. Yeah. Right. Because I think there were people who were legitimately misled. By by media entities, yeah, and some of it may be like, hey, you're you're paying attention to the. We, we, how many times have raise your hand if you're out there and you've said to someone else, hey, you're paying attention to the wrong TV station or the wrong. <laughs> like we shouldn't have to do that in sports. We, there shouldn't be a their side, our side. There shouldn't be any of that. There should only be like, hey, report what you know to be true, and you can verify. So I feel like there's some of that at, at play here. And look, I told people in the first segment, I'm going to say it again. If you want to really know what's going on, you come to this radio show. I'll tell you. I'll tell you when there's trouble. I'll tell you if the Pac-12 is going to disband. I'll tell you if there's – the, the conference is nowhere near that right now. Not hearing that, and the people involved in the direct discussions are not worried about it. Uh, they are focused on getting a media rights deal done and adding teams. And the college football playoff expansion has given some, you know, given some stability to the ecosystem because everybody knows now 
you're better off in the Pac-12 if you're Oregon or Washington, as long as you can get money, relative money, in the media rights world. You have access to the playoff that you in the Pac-12 that you don't have in the Big Ten. So there's no reason for Oregon or Washington to go say, well, we'd rather play Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State than having to play Washington State and Cal and Stanford. Give me a break. But I'll tell you at johnconzano.com what's what. Like, if you really want to know what's going on, get a free subscription there. Get a paid subscription there. Whatever works for you works for me. But if you don't want to know what's going on, you shouldn't be listening to this show and you shouldn't be reading me. Because I will tell you what is happening. I'm not just going to throw some crap against the wall, and I'm so tired of it. I felt like sports was maybe a safe place for us all to kind of agree on a set of facts, but I I feel like we are playing the same game here right now with the Big 12 and the Big 10 and the Pac-12 and some a couple of media members in particular out there that I think, you know, I want to believe that they're good people that are just being, you know, told and whispered things that aren't true. But uh, I'm looking around at like the credible news agencies that are out there, and I'm 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 uh, I I guess I'm pleased that ESPN and the Athletic have not reported anything like this. They're rolling their eyes too. Leave it here. You got the BFT. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with the Pulse from six to seven on seven fifty the game. Steven, I got to tell you, uh, you're really fast in taking your shirt off. I, I saw the video. I tried tweeting. telling everybody. It's impressive. It's kind of your superpower. I mean, it's it's more pre- So the way it happened is I did it one time in front of my wife to be funny, and mm-hmm. she told me that was really impressive, and I said, well, I, I just assumed everyone could do this. And she's like, no, that is no. not normal. That's like Superman the first time he flew, you know? Mm-hmm. And then he said to Lois Lane, like, you know, you can't do this. And she's like, no. Exactly. <laughs> um, your kid's not bad either. Yeah, he, you know, he's been really jealous. He's really been practicing ever since I showed him how to do it. <laughs> he's been practicing. He does. <laughs> Imagine the time you save, like, in a lifetime versus, like, the rest of us civilians. It's like the geniuses you know? that don't even, like, they have the same clothes, so they don't have to make the decision on what they wear. Yeah. Yeah. A L- lot of us... Like if you know, I don't know what Sean takes to how much time Sean takes to take his shirt off, but it, it adds up over a lifetime, over forty, <laughs> fifty, sixty years. Stephen is saving, I don't know, ten seconds every time he takes his shirt off. Ten you add that day, time. Yeah. Are you using that extra time you have in your day wisely, though? Uh, that's the problem. <laughs> I don't think so. Not quite yet. I, I need to figure that out. I just love it. I love that you have a little apprentice there. Learning, it's like a Jedi teaching a junior Jedi, you yeah. know. He's my a intern. Fancy move. He's my intern. I, he, unpaid, but he's yeah. fine. Yeah. And then the manual dexterity required in actually accomplishing that move. Like, there's a certain amount of, like, elbow, shoulder, limb flexibility that is needed to actually accomplish that. It, it, it's my yeah. athleticism. You know, uh-huh. I was a college athlete. There we go. Now, we, now everyone can see. Yeah, I can get it out of small places. You know, it reminds me of like the magician who pulls the tablecloth out from under all the silverware, and yeah. it's still there. Yeah, that's a good one. It's kind of what Sean's doing with the or Stephen's doing with the uh, shirt. I, yeah. I tried it here in studio, and I, I felt I heard a little rip in my shirt, and I was like, nope, not, I'm not even gonna go through with this. This is impressive. Kudos to you, not me. 
At least the rip was in your shirt and not in your muscle. <laughs> That's better than me yeah. today. I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, have a, I have a pair of pants that I really like, and I, I was trying to today find out what size they were because the tag is no longer on the pants. Yeah. So I was because I want to or I want to buy another pair uh-huh. just like it. Right. Yeah. That's what I do. That's what you do. If yeah. I could buy like fourteen of these, mm-hmm. I'd be set. Right. Because then I could just wear the same pants every day and, you know, it's a new pair, but mm-hmm. nobody else knows that. Right. But I would just do that. That's what I would do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was told the size, because I, I, I looked it up, the tag is not no longer on it. They said it's in the pocket. Mm-hmm. If you pull the pocket out and you look at you, the inside of the pocket, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It has the size printed on it. So I was like, that is phenomenal. Brilliant. It's brilliant. Yeah. So then I reached into my back pocket to pull the pocket out, and I got a cramp in my rib cage so bad <laughs> that I nearly was incapacitated. I was like, oh, my God. Like, that's what I'm thinking about with, with Sean trying to rip his shirt off, and he hears the little rip. I don't think I could do it because I think I might pull a rib cage muscle and end up like Justin Herbert. <laughs> That's what happened to me. Don't you hate when you get to the age, and we had this discussion recently, how when you get to a certain age, just certain parts of your body will just refuse to operate. Like you'll get a cramp like that, and they'll just seize up and be like, nope, I'm going on strike. I am not going to be operational for the next 15 minutes. There's nothing you can do about it. I have a friend whose hand does that. And he tries to open and close his hand, and his his fingers sometimes will get stuck straight, like the joints will get stuck straight. <laughs> I I am just grateful that doesn't happen to me. Knock yeah. on wood. Yeah. <laughs> Knock on wood. I'm not at that point, but yeah, I I damn near buckled over trying to reach into my pocket and pull the pocket out to see what size I was wearing. And that's the reason why I take my shirt off that way every day. <laughs> You gotta so, have muscle memory. Yeah. yeah, he doesn't want to lose his superpower. Yeah, yeah. you're <laughs> like an Olympic athlete training every day. Just in case I can't move my arms one day, I, you know, gotta gotta take my shirt off. Oh, he's lost it. I deal with some back tightness and neck tightness, and I have been for a couple months. And the Tell other day, more. the other day, my friend showed me this massage gun. Have you guys seen these guns that no. you can, you know, the massage guns? Yeah. She, she puts it on the highest setting. And just digs into my shoulders, kind of like my upper shoulders. And it was a lot of pain for like five minutes. But I'm telling you, I've, I haven't felt better in months because of this massage gun. All right. Uh, this friend of yours, this a romantic friend or just a It is plat- not. Platonic? It is not. It is a, uh-huh. is a childhood friend that happens to be a female. Not this one. Has a uh, massage gun though. Owns yeah. a massage. Owns gun. a massage gun, and uh, yeah, I'll have to. I, I need one because man, they they are so helpful. I have never really. I haven't That's used one like this. That's what those are used for. They you are- know what they say though. They say the best <laughs> massage gun is one that's owned by your friends. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you know? because they're not cheap. They're not that's what cheap. They say I do have one, and they are very effective. I you also say. have a massage gun. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Double wait, guns. I, I share it with my wife, so. Double guns over here. I don't have a massage gun. I have to know. The massage gun. Is it something you walked into like a sharper image and saw that, tested it, and went, Best that's buy. The, that's that's what I need. It's Best yeah. Buy, I bet you. Um, well, so I know like if you watch sports like basketball, a lot of the basketball players use it on the sidelines. Yeah. And so that's kind of where we got the idea. And then I knew someone who had one, and he, he used it on me, a man. Uh-huh. 
and it was yeah. and it was really nice. And so uh, wait, I was, wait, wait, wait. Can you get a massage gun from another man and not have it be a weird thing? Yeah, it was great. It was on my uh, my my calf and hamstring. Yeah. He just massaged it really hard, just like Sean said. Max, where where Max were Power. you when this happened? Oh, we were at the beach. Nice romantic beach you, vacation. Did you know this person? <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, this that, wasn't like you were at a party. bus stop and no. this guy pulled out a massage gun no, and it, laid you on the bench? No, it's how we, how we celebrated the bachelor party. Oh, wow. So, sounds, uh, sounds wild. I, this, this is the thing. Like, if you go and you get a massage appointment, it's super expensive. If you go to a chiropractor, it's super expensive. Right? If right? you invest in one of these massage guns, mm-hmm. and you might need someone to do it. And I don't think it matters if that person happens to be male or female. But if someone else can, you know, provide provide the, uh, the you know, the massage with the gun, it, it helps a lot. Like, it's seriously been life-changing. Uh, just the knots that I had in my shoulders, and it just clears everything up. Everything's connected. Everything's better Yeah. now that you've done it. I, I, I actually have a hang-up where, like, if I were going to go get a massage, I wouldn't want a male practitioner <laughs> working on me. It's just me. These guys are more progressive I, than Yeah, it's just me. Yeah. I, I, it, to me, it's about I want to be relaxed. I don't know. It's probably, you know, it's a hang-up that I have. But... um. If you have a, that's why I asked about the gun being involved, because <laughs> then, then I would just be like, you know, I was at gunpoint. I had no no choice. I find those those massage guns to be a little violent. Like the the emotion, the motion of it is so erratic that they kind of scare me. <laughs> they are very very forceful. If you put it on the highest level, man, it is oh, it's yeah. tough. But that's why I'm saying, like, did you go into a brick-and-mortar store and purchase it, or did you just buy the same make and model of the one that the guy was using on you (laughs) at the bachelor party on the beach? Well, so, uh, you know, luckily for me, I just tell my wife, like, hey, we need to get one of these, and she does all the research. So she bought it online, so uh, she's smarter than I am. This is, uh, I would love to stay with this topic, yeah. but we have to move on. We could, we could go okay. on, you know. Jonathan Smith is coming yeah. up, the Oregon State football coach, in the happy hour, but I want you to leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Mark Zuckerberg is at it again. I just like saying that. <laughs> I saw a headline that UFC had closed off the Saturday card in Las Vegas, not open to the public, not open to the media. Uh, UFC declined to provide a reason for the closure, but uh, UFC president Dana White said yesterday he just wanted to give the media a night off. However, it has come out, the reason has come out why it is closed. Apparently, Meta, or Facebook, chief CEO, Mark Zuckerberg, rented out the entire venue. So he rented out the whole event. He's going to be there. I don't know if he's going to bring his wife or his friends or if it's a party or if he's going to bring you know, employees. But apparently UFC has alerted media members that there are no press credentials for Saturday's card. The event has no public tickets. UFC has not commented on the matter. Um, Zuckerberg is apparently a fan of mixed martial arts. And he even posted a video of himself doing MMA drills earlier this month. Mark Zuckerberg. I, I wonder, I would like to see Mark Zuckerberg get in the octagon. I don't. 
I don't need to see him in the octagon. I need to see him in the no. octagon as much as I need to see Steven take his shirt off. Give me, <laughs> let me have Zuck in the uh, in the octagon. This is all marketing. This is all marketing. You think so? One hundred percent. Because so he's it made it super exclusive, keeping the media out, right? Yeah. So now we're talking about it, right? Because nobody's allowed in. And so it's like it's like the line outside of the most popular club in town. Nobody can get in, right? And so now we really want to know what's going on in there. And it's all about the metaverse. It's all about that virtual reality thing that he's going so heavy on to the point where he understands that like UFC, MMA, this is like the the average age of somebody who's really into that skews younger. And so it's all part of a campaign that he's waged in the last few months where wh what's he been doing? He's been fighting. He's been doing mixed martial arts with like Kai, the shadow woo, who got his UFC debut, you know, like, uh, like he's been doing all this stuff. He's been wakeboarding. He's been demonstrably showing how cool he is. His most recent video is showing yeah. how you can do fencing. Like, you know, with a world champion fencer using Metaverse. Oh, so so this is to... all aimed at capturing the next generation of virtual reality users and to sell more of those things that people are putting on their heads to escape reality. I wonder if he's going to get in there and they're going to do some kind of virtual reality they're MMA gonna fight. They're going to Metaverse the crap out of that thing. Absolutely. Uh, like, it's a brilliant move because he gets full control over what is happening in the in in the arena and how it's shot and then how it's marketed 100% control over the content that's really interesting do you think that i should steal a page from the zuck and show myself doing cool things like reaching into my pocket and getting a cramp in my ribs yes you should you know? do the opposite you know you should go to the uh, <laughs> so like steven yes. Steven, like we could show how cool this show is. Yeah. Sean's eating saltine crackers at a record yes. pace. Uh huh. Steven's ripping that shirt yeah. off like he's the fastest stripper in America. Anna's eating chicken feet. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. We got. We're onto something here. Yeah. We're counterculture. <laughs> we're the anti-metaverse on this anti show. Uh, it's really interesting though because you're right in in that I first went to is he doing something cool for his employees, but. Well, I mean, he might be. There's, right? He might be, but there's marketing dollars here that are at work. Like, he's not renting out the entire venue in this event because he just wants to enjoy it with his wife and some friends. That's not it. This is yeah. That's not it. He wants complete control over it, and by keeping everybody out, there's an exclusivity to it, which then, you know, fosters more and more interest of, of what is actually happening in that room. We should do that with a show. We should just say there's a, a limited number of listeners who can listen to the show. Yeah. And if you don't get in, then that's it. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, we, we'll, we'll cap it at like... These may be six, public airwaves, 60,000 but... <laughs> people, but not 60,001. How do we yeah. control that? Yeah, uh, we got to get the tech. We really need the tech to catch up to what we want to do with the show. I want to take this thing Where's bigger Thor? places, but I'm limited by the fact that I can't close the doors. We don't have a velvet rope. We don't have a bouncer. And we just say, hey, if you want to be here, everybody's welcome. That's, you know, that doesn't create exclusivity yeah. like the Zuck is doing yeah. in Vegas with this UFC event. That's what we need. We need a little bit of exclusivity. Let's workshop, let's workshop that. We we gotta workshop that. Let's or workshop. or the other thing we could do is we could send we could send the show on the road. Like we could send Steve like Pokey 
Pokey did this with Portland State. Yeah. He said, come to the game, buy season tickets, or a meteor will land in your front yard. Uh-huh. And then he actually had a meteor, like yeah. a paper mache one, uh-huh. that he would put in people's yards yeah. as a gag. Like, uh-huh. you didn't buy tickets, meteor landed in your yard. <laughs> so what we could do is we could say, if you don't listen to this show, we're going to send Steven over to your house, and he's going to show us how show you how fast yeah. he can get undressed, and he's going to do it on your front lawn. Yeah. There I'm you down. go. People I'm might down. see that as a treat, though. Jonathan Smith coming up in the 5 o'clock hour, plus the 5 at 5 next. B-F-F-T. From the Pack West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. Program off the rails today, really. It has been. You know what we haven't done yet? We haven't taken calls yet. Here we are in hour three. It's the happy hour. I haven't given the phone number. We haven't taken calls. 503-417-7575 is the phone number. There, now I've given the phone number. We always welcome calls on this show. We're going to do the five at five in this segment. Five biggest stories going on. Really important stuff. We got some punch and audio coming up. Jonathan Smith, Oregon State football coach, will be with us. I'm going to ask him if he was going to set a world record, a goodness world record, what would he set a record in? Dave in Vancouver's called in. Bring Dave on because Dave has a question or he has a comment. Dave, what? (laughs) Uh, So I'm the first caller today, huh? You're Uh, it, man. I I didn't realize that. Well, uh, today's show was uh, probably one of the most unique I've listened to, um, from you anyway. So unique, we started, unique how? Uh, well, let's see. We started off the show talking about cannabis. Yep. And, th- and then we went to eating saltine crackers quickly. And then we went to how fast you can get undressed. Um, Don't you see. see there's a theme? There's a chicken feet theme between all those You made things. chicken feet. Don't leave that out. Uh, the chicken feet is on my list. Uh, then we talked about massage guns and how, how great they are. Uh, how do you find the size of your pants? It's in yep. your pocket, I guess. I didn't know that. There you go. And then we went to the metaverse. So I'm really excited about the last hour oh, and yeah. what, what items I can add to this crazy list. Where might it go? Here's the thing that I love about it, Dave. You've been paying attention. You, yeah. back, you, have, you have comprehended the mission of today's show. I have notes. <laughs> I took notes. How many people in this area took notes? <laughs> That's good that you're taking notes because none of us are taking notes. I'm just glad <laughs> you get it. Thank See? you. You know, I appreciate you, man. I appreciate that you're out there. You know what's interesting to me, man, is, you know, sometimes we do this show and I feel like, you know, are we, are, should we be talking more sports? Should I be talking about Aaron Judge? Should I be talking about Aaron Rodgers? You know, and then we get a call that just affirms to me <laughs> that the audience gets it. That, you know, we're here to make you laugh, to make you cry, to make you think, to, you know, show us, show you how fast we can take our shirts off and teach you where to find the size of your pants. And it's so carefully not scripted that, you know, yes. we put so much planning. Hey, speak for yourself. I put a lot of planning in what to leave out. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of that. 
You know, like, you know how they do their shows, they knock on the door, they got a camera crew, and they're like, we're going to cook something based on what's in your refrigerator. Oh, yeah, I love those. Okay? That's what this show is. It's what do we got in the fridge? What kind of gourmet meal can we cook? Casserole. If we weren't prepared, think how off the rail this show would be. Oh, tell me about it. Well, yesterday got off the rails, too, but it was involving sports. I got to be honest with you guys. I don't remember yesterday's show. Well, there's the Coach that's, Barnum and Coach Shaw conversation. Yeah, okay, that's how I live, though. I'm on to the next thing. I don't yeah, even really remember does. taking my shirt off. Yeah. I have a... Amnesia. I, it's like am, daily amnesia. But it but it, it keeps me going. It does. Because yeah. every day I'm like, man, yeah. I got to do something today. I, what did I do yesterday? I feel like I did nothing. You're like, you're like <laughs> the guy on 41st Dates. If yesterday was bad, it doesn't matter because you just move on. I, I got to bulldoze ahead. Let's go to Sean and Sandy. Speaking of, what's up, man? Some people got pretty easy days. And today I realized Guinness World Record stuff is like dumb stuff. Mm. You know, you got to realize if you want to be in that book, you want to be something in there you're proud of. I mean, you, yeah. you know, if you're going to be good at something, kind of be proud of what you do. Have, you know, have it be kind of uh, thankful and, uh, you know, rewarding and be proud of it. And uh, some of all that stuff in there, no good. And then I realized how under-massaged America is today. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, a- massages, I grew up with massages in the house. I remember my dad, he'd have his kids walking on his back. You know, we grew up, I remember taking a massage class when I was in grade school. Yep. You know? That's People, right. Massage is good. Anybody that knows anything about sports knows massage is good. I'll and tell you what. Even if you know, we were talking about those automatic massagers, massage guns, whatever they're calling them. You you were the massage gun, Sean. Yeah. Yeah, say no to massage guns. You can't beat your hand. It's like sanding. You know, when you're sanding woodwork, you know, you top, sand the top layer off with a sander. But when you want to actually work with the wood and get into the grain and not over sand it, yeah. and you don't want to sand in totally. a laminate, you do yep. it by hand, right? Yep. 100%. You took a massage class totally. in elementary school? Hey, hey. Stop judging people. No, 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 no. I just wanted to know more about you that. You know it what? It is fascinating. Yeah. Massage yeah, gun like is PE? the same price as one massage. Just throwing it out there. I got to... <laughs> You make your money back. I gotta say, so quickly on that massage gun. <laughs> I actually do think there's some good synergy on the show today. And for those who think we're this isn't planned, like, you know, Ricky Williams coming on talking about cannabis, it dovetails nicely with where this show has gone. Yeah, it goes right into saltines. Like, I, I totally feel like this show is going where it's supposed to go. And, and I'll be honest with you, like, I'm, I'm being serious here, like. I feel like there's a flow and a rhythm to writing, mm-hmm. okay? You've heard me talk about that. I think it's not that different than music. When you're writing well, there's a rhythm to the prose, okay? When you are in a show like this, I I know when the show's off because it's it, the rhythm of the show goes sideways. Mm-hmm. You hear me. The listener doesn't hear me at yeah. the end of the segment when right. we go to break. I will comment on, did that last segment work? Did it not work? What went wrong? And I said to, uh, you know, at different points, because Stephen and Sean really, I, I thought, took the last couple of half hour, 45 minutes in a good direction. I feel like the show is going where it's supposed to go. It's like rerouting a river, you know? Like, you, it, it needs the right landscape, the right geography, the terrain needs to be right. The, mm-hmm. You know, you got to harness the power of the water is what I'm saying. Okay? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. 
And if you ever have to say what I'm saying, that means that you're you probably should be moving on to the five at five. Making radio one oh one. Let's do the five biggest stories on planet Earth now. The five at five. Well, there's a hurricane going on. Did you know that? Ian. Hurricane Ian is out there. Tampa Bay Buccaneers are dealing with it. People are dealing with it. Uh, the NFL is also dealing with it. I pointed this out earlier in the show, but I know not all of you are here. The Chiefs and the Buccaneers are supposed to play a game on Sunday night in Tampa. It's in serious jeopardy. The league has now secured U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis as a contingency site. We're not sure what's going to happen. It's a contingency. The game remains scheduled for Sunday night at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa. I'm also thinking about baseball, MLB, the Tropicana Field, the Trop, Tampa Rays play there. Is it possible there could be some significant damage as that team is chasing a pennant, trying to be a playoff team that matters? Keep an eye on the weather. Hurricane Ian headed into Florida. Number two, Anna, go. Okay, uh, Lionel Messi, am I saying his name right? Yeah. Uh, could be returning to Barcelona. Vice President of Barcelona is saying that Messi's return to the club as a player would be financially possible next summer. So Messi, he's 35. He'll be done with his contract with Paris Saint-Germain at the end of the season. Could potentially transfer back to Barca. This is according to ESPN. He left Barcelona for France last year because they couldn't afford to renew his new deal while remaining within their spending limits. Messi going home. Good, go. good stuff. Number three in our five at five. I want to talk about wealth and the Forbes list of the wealthiest people in America. Or how about planet Earth? That list is out again. And the richest owner in sports is Steve Ballmer. He's the richest owner in professional sports anywhere. This former CEO of Microsoft has a net worth estimated at $83 billion. He lost $13.5 billion because Microsoft's stock valuation dropped. But Ballmer is the eighth richest person in the world, according to Forbes. And he's the richest owner in sports. Rob Walton, who purchased the Denver Broncos in June for $4.6 billion, is number two on the list. He's the Walmart heir, and he's worth an estimated $56 billion. Dan Gilbert of the Cavaliers, also on the list. By the way, he fell all the way to number six. Rocket Mortgage, the company he founded, lost half of its stock valuation. Jerry Jones saw his net worth grow this year. He's at number seven. He has a net worth of $16 billion. It's really interesting. Carolina Panthers owner David Tepper is number three. Robert Perra, owner of the Grizzlies, is at four. And Steve Cohen, who owns the Mets, is at five. But it's interesting to me to look at these lists and see professional sports owners because I feel like pro sports teams have grown in value to the point where we're not really seeing individuals buy them anymore. Ballmer, Cohen, David Tepper of the Panthers, Jerry Jones. 
I think a decade from now, 20 years from now, we're not going to see individual people owning teams. I think we're going to see consortiums or groups of individuals, 20 to 25 people who have all pitched in, and, you know, there'll be a majority owner, but I don't think we're going to see franchises owned by one person moving forward. They're worth too much. They went from being 50 million, 100 million, 500 million to now $4.6 billion. It really does limit the number of people who can buy them. And some of those cats that are on the top of the Forbes list that, you know, they already own teams. So I just don't, I don't think we're going to see like Paul Allen buying the Blazers, Balmer buying the Clippers. I think we're going to see, like even with the case with the Blazers, it's Alan Smolensky, Dodgers owner, and Phil Knight. Mm-hmm. You know, Phil could do it on his own if he wanted to, but I just don't think, I don't think these billionaires are going to be keen on dropping $5 billion on a franchise. I think that, you know, I'm, I'm good for a billion is going to be the refrain. Anna, number four in our five at five. Go. Uh, speaking of new ownership groups, LeBron James and Maverick Carter's LRMR Ventures, well, they're headlining a new ownership group in, wait for it, Major League Pickleball. Whoa. The group includes investment firm SE Holdings, NBA champions Draymond Green, and hello, Kevin Love. <laughs> These guys believe that pickleball is the future. Pickleball oh. is the fastest growing sport in the country. Financial terms were not disclosed, but it would be the first of its kind professional team league in the United States. So they want to start a league and they want to own it. Yep. Well, the league's expansion from 12 to 16 teams opened up the opportunity like it exists mm. but they're investing in the new league to showcase elite professional talented pickleball players i wonder if that pickleball league might come calling for some of the pac-12 teams that'll be the next cbs sports report oh. pac-12 in jeopardy pickleball league coming for arizona and colorado finally the fifth thing in our five at five Patriots coach Bill Belichick, he's got a nasty stiff arm. How do we know this? Well, he was asked today about injured quarterback Mac Jones, who did not practice today, and he was peppered with questions. High ankle sprain on Sunday, likely to miss multiple weeks, but Belichick told reporters he's going to take it day by day. Then he was asked, is the plans to have a procedure to help his recovery? And Belichick said, day by day, day by day. Then he paused and he said, that's the plan, day by day. And then he continued and he said, day by day by day by day, every time he was asked about Mac Jones's status, he finally said, what do you think I'm going to do, read you the MRI? It's not my job. Apparently, Mac Jones is day-to-day. Bill Belichick is 70, and he sounds like a guy who is just over it (laughs) when it comes to questions. That is the five at five. Do you guys find Belichick's act, um, do you find it interesting and funny and entertaining, or do you find that it grates? Um, I kind of find it funny. It's it's this whole thing now. You, You hear so many stories about how he's actually pretty funny. 
if you talk to him one on one. So uh, just to know that it's kind of it's kind of just an act. I think it's kind of funny. I think it's funny. It's different. You know, we're talking about it. If we're talking about a press conference during this radio show, then it's obviously something unique, and it's not just coach speak that you hear at every other press conference. So uh, I like it. I, you know, I don't think the Patriots are very good. I, you know, I think Belichick's pretty close to done. The Patriots have really. I think there's a deeper conversation there with with kind of what's gone wrong with the Patriots since Brady left, though. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's hard when you see the Beatles break up, right? And I think the Patriots, Tom Brady going one way, Belichick going another way. I think Brady won the divorce. Uh, He went on and won a Super Bowl. But here's Bill Belichick, you know, channeling his inner Bill Belichick. He was asked at the beginning of the season, what is the headline for the season? What is the headline going into the season? I don't know. (laughs) We're just taking it one day at a time. There's Bill Belichick. I laughed. Here's... <laughs> Put that on a t-shirt. Yeah. It's not win the day. It's day by day by day. Yeah. Twelve times he yeah. said that. Yeah. Twelve times. Here is Belichick getting asked whether he considers Brady a tough quarterback to defend. Bill, is, would you consider Tom a tough quarterback to defend? And if so, why? Defend, do you consider him a tough quarterback to defend? Yeah. Is that the question? Yeah. Yeah. He's just tough, what, tough, he's as tough as any quarterback him? there is or ever has been. I what mean, enough said. I mean, his numbers are incredible. He's about to pass the all-time passing record. He's done more than any other player at that position um, in whatever measurement you want to take, whether it's yards, completions, touchdowns, championships. Uh, you know, you name it. So put anything out there you want. Like, oh, it doesn't get any tougher than him. There you go. I think he's hilarious, but I'm glad I don't have to cover him. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that would be, I think he's perfect for, you know, where he's from. I think the people in that area really appreciate that kind of dry yeah, a little bit. humor. Uh, here's Belichick. They asked him about social media, some report on social media. First of all, you know, I, I don't really know or care anything about social media. I don't even know what's out there or isn't out there. So that's irrelevant to me. Um, but it doesn't matter. Um, we played football before there was social media and it didn't matter then either. So there it is, Bill Belichick. Did I ever tell you my Belichick story? Do you guys know my Belichick story, Stephen and Sean? No. Have you heard it? I don't know it. No. You guys been on eBay? Oh, yeah. You ever bought anything on eBay? Yeah. Yeah. You ever sold anything on eBay? Think so, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I had a stack of nineteen fifties football cards. They were just common cards. They weren't really valuable. They weren't worth a whole lot, whatever. There was a Ted March Broda card in there, whatever, some familiar names, but they were basically commons from the nineteen fifties. The whole stack of cards was worth maybe sixty five dollars, whatever. I put them on eBay, put the description, whatever, auction happens. Somebody wins the auction. So happens that it's Bill Belichick. He won the auction. So I now, I find myself, this was years ago. This was circa, I'm going to say 19, I'd say about 2000. It's about 20 years ago, 22 years ago. Uh, Bill Belichick is a D coordinator with the Jets at at the time, and it's during training camp. I find myself in an email correspondence pen palling with Bill Belichick. And I recognize immediately that I've got an NFL assistant coach who is 
emailing with me and has bought these cards. He subsequently tells me, because I asked him, I said, why, why, are you, what, what, why were you interested in these cards? Belichick, he's writing me from a New York Jets email address, too. Mm-hmm. It was like BillBelichick at NewYorkJets.com. <laughs> and so I know I got Bill Belichick. So he, he says that he's collecting cards of people that he coached with. Ted Marchabroda was a you know, coach that he coached with, and so he was trying to get the Marchabroda card. So you know he's nostalgic, he may say he's not on social media, but he was on eBay. It's not social media, I guess. But so I get this, you know, and it was at a, it was a time really before PayPal and all that. Mm-hmm. I get a letter from Bill Belichick with his home address and a and a check for sixty eight dollars that handles the shipping and everything. I package up the cards and and send them away. Now this was again. Prior to the days where you could take a picture of the check and just keep it, because right. I would have done that. Right. So I had a choice in 2000, before Bill Belichick won any of these Super Bowls, whatnot, keep the Bill Belichick check or cash it. I cashed the damn thing. You and took, did? Well, I didn't know he was going to be Bill Belichick. <laughs> so I cashed the check. I've told the story before. The Boston Globe called me one time because I told the story, and they were like, tell us about that story. And so it was during the Super Bowl. I told the Boston Globe, I go, look, here's what happened. Belichick's a, car, a football card collector, and he's a nostalgic guy. Uh, he's curmudgeon but he's nostalgic. So there's my Bill Belichick story. You know, I, I wish I would have kept the check. I did keep the envelope mm-hmm. with his return address and his little sticker on it and all that. Belichick family living in Muttontown, New York. I'll remember it to this day. <laughs> Leave it here. You got the BFT. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. All right, we got two choices here. We can have a really short segment here because we're way off time, or we could uh, uh, we could go long and we'll just wait for Jonathan Smith, who's coming along here in about four minutes. What do you guys vote that we do? Do we take another quick break here? Uh, and listener, if you want to vote as well, you can tweet at me at John Canzano BFT. Do we take a quick break here? And then come back and have a longer segment with Jonathan Smith. Or do I just wait a couple minutes, take Jonathan Smith like he's a baton being handed off in a relay race, and then uh, you know go right into that interview? What do you guys vote? You know, I think I think we wait because you don't want to leave Jonathan Smith waiting, right? Like if he calls in during the break, like right if you took a break and then he then he calls, you don't want him to wait for like four minutes. So um, I think you know he'll be calling here soon. I think we just write it out. You vote wait. What if he's late? What what if we're waiting for him? It's like waiting for the uh, for the uh, you know Directv inst- installation guy. You know that's true, Sean. I think we do a quick segment here because that's our normal routine to get Smith during a commercial break and then give him the segment that he deserves rather than kind of a uh, a little bit of a uh, this would be a long segment. So I think uh, I think we do a quick segment here. All right, uh, I got a bunch of people online who are saying take the break, and come back for Jonathan Smith. Uh, you've been outvoted, Stephen. That's okay. I'm sorry. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with Jonathan Smith. He will be here when you come back. Back to the bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. 
That was a hell of a football game on Saturday at Research Stadium. I was there, 27,000-plus were there screaming and yelling, and uh, it was a great atmosphere. Jonathan Smith was there as well. They've got a big game this week in Salt Lake City. He's joining us to talk about it. Uh, you know, you've been asked a million times about the USC game. I don't want to dwell on it too much, but what you know, how fast psychologically did you have to kind of get to your guys and try to make sure that one loss doesn't become two? Yeah, there's no question. Uh, I will say, yeah, we we talked about it on Sunday, the day after the game. But with this group, I think they understand. This is going to be a long season. That was a first conference game. They put a lot into it, energy and emotion and uh, obviously wanted wanted to win the game in the in a desperate way, uh, but at the same time you got to be able to regroup. This is a long football season, and so we talked about it a little bit on Sunday and and the maturity, the leadership we got on this team. I think they went back to work the last two days, feel good about you know our approach and the process we've taken, and and we know we got a big time challenge again this this Saturday. Best defensive performance by an Oregon State team in in a while. I thought I thought it was really impressive. How did that feel to you on the sideline? Yeah, and they, they did play well. I mean, for a long period of time. I mean, I, I looked up at early fourth quarter, the game's 7-3. to three, And I thought to myself the same thing on, on defense, what we've been, been able to do, because that is a good offense. That's a good quarterback. they got a bunch of skill, good scheme, all of it. And for us to hold them down for the period of time we did was, was an attribute of our defense that, you know, we hadn't seen slash I think we expected and is really happy for those guys to play that well. I also felt like, look, their receivers got a lot of attention, but they weren't running by your guys. And their offensive and defensive lines weren't pushing your guys around. I just think from a talent assessment, it it told me that you guys are right there. You know, I think, yeah, we we feel confident with this group. I love coaching these guys. I think uh, on the secondary, they were excited about the challenge that those receivers presented. Um, I did think it benefited their secondary that we can got around the quarterback a little bit, made him move his feet, trying to get out of the pocket sometimes. Uh, but overall, from a defensive standpoint, those guys had stepped up to the challenge. Offensively, we, we hurt ourselves a little bit with the turnovers, obviously, but also the penalty in because um, we've got to be able to score more points if we want to win a bunch of games in this conference. You, you know, in this conference, nobody's gone undefeated in conference play, and I think it's 12 seasons now. Uh, you know, since Oregon did it in 2010, nobody's done it. So I think you know you can you can lose a game in this in this conference and get to Vegas. Still, did you feel like your guys practice Monday, practice Tuesday? Do, do you feel like they uh, they've got their heads on straight right now? I feel like they do. Uh, again, the way. You know, Tuesday practice, Wednesday practice, seeing the body language of these guys through Sunday and Monday. They understand that, yeah, each each game's important, and this one was big, home, you know, conference opener and against a good opponent, and great crowd, and, and all of it didn't go our way, but we're back to work. There's a lot of football left to play. Jonathan Smith with us. Uh, it looked like to me that you found a running back that maybe some of us didn't see coming in Jam Griffin. What did we, What did we see on Saturday from him? Yeah, I think Jam's a nice change of pace compared to Damian and, and Fenwick in regards to his style of running. Um, I think it played out a, a lot like we we give guys early carries in the first half, and then all of a sudden we get a hot hand, we're going to feed them. I thought, you know, some of those runs were blocked really well for Jam, and then he's finishing at the second level, and he's got a, a change of pace compared to the other two. Do you have a, like, when you are 
you know, this is a personnel question, but when, you know, you got Fenwick, you've got Martinez, you know, and then you have Jam, like, is it a feel thing? Is it, you know, do you pre-script who's going to play this many carries, that many carries, second quarter, I want to, you know, how do you do, how do you manage that as a coach on the sideline? Yeah, there's some of both. I mean, some of the plays are specific to the back we want in the game. There's a pre-script on the amount of carries early on, and A.J. Stewart, our running back coach, does a great job of rotating those guys early on, kind of getting a feel for the game for all three guys. Um, but then you get into the second half, and you get into some calls where he, any of the three could run it. Who's got the hot hand? And at that point, Jim, Jim definitely had it. Yeah, we look we look back a lot. But I want to look ahead here with Utah. You're going to Salt Lake. It's a tough place to play. It's a day game. First of all, do you like playing a day game? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, we practice in the mornings, and so I and I told the team the same thing. I think kickoffs at noon Mountain, eleven o'clock Pacific. Well, eleven o'clock Pacific on a normal day, we'll be in the middle of practice. So definitely excited about that. And just earlier, you look forward to the next next game, getting back earlier, recovery, rest. Uh, and that's what I grew up doing, watching college football games at noon. What do you see on film with Utah? How similar are they to a year ago? How different are they? Yeah, they, they got some similarities now. And, and, you know, Coach Winningham over there has been doing a great job defensively. They're at wholesale change in schematics now. I mean, they've been doing this, this scheme for a long time, physical, challenge you. Uh, make it physical on offense. They can run the ball, but the quarterback's a good player. I think he's really similar to the last quarterback played last weekend in regards to his ability to throw it accurately, decision making, and extend the play. You watch Cam Rising play over and over. So many third down pickups through his feet. He's pulling the ball in the run game. So they got some real balance offensively that makes it tough. And it will. It'll be a challenging place to play. That place can get rocking. One of the better home field advantages in the in the league. So all of that stacked together makes a, a really good team and a, a challenge. I was looking at the Pac-12, and I think there are seven quarterbacks that are transfers that have, one way or another, Cam Rising's one of them, that have come from other places. And Do you think that's just how it's going to be at that position moving forward? I mean, are, are the days of a freshman coming in and you developing a guy over three or four years, has that ship sailed? Yeah, because you, you mentioned seven. I thought there was more than that. Might be um, more. So I, I do think that uh, that this day and age, you can, um, and especially at that particular position, um, you can find a really good player uh, to, to come in. Because I do. I mean, both Washington schools got a transfer. The Ducks got a transfer going. Cal's got a transfer going. Uh, you, obviously, SC's got a transfer going. Arizona's got one. Arizona State's got one. Uh, Utah Cam Rising uh, a couple of years ago. Even Colorado had one. Now they're yeah. playing a different guy. The majority of this league. And, and trust me, we talked about that in our personnel meetings on our staff of like, you know, that's the trend. I will say we feel good about the development for players that spend a, a little time here. They get better each year. And I think that's playing out because we got a, a veteran roster and we got a lot of guys playing pretty well. I'm just spitballing here. I think it's like 10. So Dorian Thompson Robinson, he's, he's a fifth year starter at UCLA. Yep. And then you got uh, the Stanford kid, McKee, and then yep. I think every, everybody else is a transfer. So how do you, like, on one hand, when you're in the living room of a talented high school kid, you gotta, you got to be selling development. Hey, we're ready. We want to develop a guy. We want to be that program. On the other hand, you gotta, you got to keep an eye on the portal. Yeah, both of them. I mean, and again, you're recruiting, and we're recruiting, obviously, uh, 
you know, freshman quarterback each year. I still believe in that, you know, because you really don't know until you got them what you got. Uh, and sometimes you know, some of these guys are ready to go year one and year two. At the same time, and again, I know we're focused on the QB. Every position, every year, you're going to have competition brought in in recruiting, whether they're a freshman or an older kid. Uh, and, and competition does. The, the best ones rise to the top through that, and you're trying to create that in a program, having competition at every position. How do you help Chance Nolan after the Saturday performance? Well, a lot. I mean, protection, number one. Uh, the situations we put him in on third and long, a few of those errors, interceptions happened. Well, we, let's stay away from third and long. Let's be better on first and second down. Uh, we got to coach him continually better. Sometimes a sack's going to be better than the interception. He's got to be accurate in the and, and, and choose wisely. Let's face it, this guy, he's got the ball in his hands. Um, he's got to be a great decision maker. And, yeah, he'd love to have a couple throws back from last week, counting on him being better this weekend. Felt like he got on his back foot a couple times. And when I see that, I go, okay, maybe uh, you know he's getting pressure. He's not comfortable back there. Uh, you know, did, was he on his back foot on a couple of those throws? Yeah, I mean, without question. And and a couple, some of that. And I played the position. I mean, you get hit on previous plays. Yeah, that that takes a toll. And, and again, uh, each play is new. What took place in the previous plays doesn't mean anything about the the current play you're in in regards to how well you're going to be protected. And, again, some of those throws he can't finish the throw uh, because he's getting hit. Uh, and so all of it, it's a tough position to play. Um, Chance has done a lot of good things. He, he did a lot of good things in this previous game. Uh, gave us an opportunity. But, ultimately, we turn it over four times. We're going to have a tough time winning any games. Yeah. You, you are very even keel. At least you appear that way. I don't know what's going on like internally when you're on the sideline. You appear very even, which is good. I think you need that. You don't want to be too high, too low on the sideline. You go home Saturday night, you have a hard time sleeping, or you know, do you stay up because the adrenaline's going? How does that happen? Yeah, it's pretty typical. Every, Especially on night games Saturday, it takes me a while to, to wind down and actually fall asleep. I drink a little too much coffee before the game, and that mm. keeps me up. But, yeah, you're digesting this emotional – uh, 60 minutes, it turns into about three and a half hours of college football game. It takes me a little while, uh, and I think that's healthy for me to kind of wind down and to try to find some space by myself and digest uh, how the game went. Do you want to watch film at that time, or do you just want you just kind of want to think about it, talk about it? Yeah, I'll try to catch a little bit of film. Um, sometimes it's better for me not to go dive right into it, but I'll, yeah. I mean, let's say I get on my phone, I'll get on uh see some highlights of it and, and think about it or back and forth with a coach or two. Um, but that's how I manage after the games. All right. From the press box, the the little Addison route there, the little wheel route, it felt to me like if that DB gets a hand on him, helps the safety out, there's a different outcome there. Am I reading that wrong? Like if that DB just get got to get a hand on that kid. Yeah, you're kind of on it. Football scheme here. Yeah, the initial DB, the corner, we're in a cloud coverage. And so initial hand or reroute is going to slow that vertical thread on the outside, so helping out the safety get over there. Um, that's that's 100% true. All of that said, I do think that was a big-time throw in a big-time yeah. situation by a big-time quarterback. I mean, we've had, we had plenty of opportunities to get him off the field before that. Mm -hmm. uh, but I just feel like giving credit when credit is due. We hadn't run a bunch of that coverage the whole night. We'd been playing a lot of man coverage and pressuring them. We got into a cloud coverage, and he recognized it and made a big-time throw. 
All right, you're going to Salt Lake City. Big opportunity to kind of pivot back, get back on track, and you know I think it's going to be a great game. Uh, I will be there. I'm looking forward to seeing you guys, and I appreciate you giving us some of your time, Coach. Yeah, look forward to seeing you, John. Thanks for All coming. Right. Take care. There he is, Jonathan Smith. Really, um, you know, I was in the stadium. I was in Racer Stadium on Saturday night, and I could feel the fan base, that Oregon State fan base that has been through so much. That fan base watched Mike Riley, you know, get on a plane for Nebraska. Watched Gary Anderson come through the doors and, you know, felt good about Gary Anderson, and then Gary Anderson leaves, just drops the program like a hot potato. Uh, then came, you know, that Civil War game where the raincoats came out and it rained touchdowns, and, you know, it was embarrassing for Oregon State. I think it was difficult for the Oregon State fans to take that, that uh, shellacking that they took at the hands of Oregon in that rivalry game. Uh, then came finally the hire of Jonathan Smith, but guess what? Oregon State didn't have success right away. Struggled. Cupboard was bare. It was evident, especially on the defensive side of the ball, that they didn't have a good plan and they didn't have the personnel, to more importantly, to get it done. And really, for his first couple of seasons, struggled to stop people and weren't in a lot of games. And now we're watching... Oregon State football, and, you know, I talked to Kyle Whittingham this week. You heard the interview. I think it was yesterday's show. I talked to him off air a little bit, too, and, you know, he's got a tremendous respect for Jonathan Smith and what Oregon State's doing. He, you know, talked at length about that. Nick Aliotti, the former Oregon D coordinator, is now working at the Pac-12 Network, was raving about Jonathan Smith and the, the way Oregon State plays and the plan they have offensively and the kinds of things they do, and you want to talk scheme, I think right now in the Pac-12, Washington's doing some really good things on offense with Michael Penix Jr. He looks like a better, different quarterback than he's ever been. And i got to give Kalen DeBoer credit at Washington. But I think right in there, Oregon State is offensively doing stuff that is getting a lot of attention in the conference. Lincoln Riley, of course, has a scheme, and he's got athletes, he's got players. But I think, you know, Jonathan Smith needs better quarterback play. That's what Oregon State needs. If, if Oregon State can get some better quarterback play this season, they will have a nice season. You can see it lining up for them. Their defense can play. If they turn the ball over, if Chance Nolan doesn't find more consistency, I think it could be a little frustrating for Oregon State down the stretch because they have um, a gauntlet of games including Washington State, including Washington, including Oregon, including Utah, that aren't going to be easy games if they don't get good quarterback play. I'm looking forward to Saturday to see if Oregon State can bounce back, can they pivot back, where are they psychologically, against a Utah team that I think is the best team in the Pac-12. We'll talk about the Pac-12 coming up, plus some punch it audio. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. Talk Timbers coming up uh, top of the hour here in Portland on 750 The Game. I want to play a little punch at audio here. We'll talk a little bit about the Pac-12 on the tail end of the show. Tomorrow, we will give our picks for the week. Stephen, Sean, come prepared to talk about who you think is going to win I had a pretty good uh, week last week uh, against the spread, but uh, come prepared. You're only as good as the picks that are in front of you on tomorrow's show.
Uh, Bo Nix, Dan Lanning, Ian Rappaport, David Shaw. What are we talking? We're talking punching audio. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Oh, Bill Belichick, you are grumpy, but we love you for it. Belichick was asked about Mac Jones' health. He's got a high ankle sprain. Here's the exchange. Punch it. Does he have a high ankle sprain? Day five. What do I look like? A doctor, an orthopedic surgeon? Like, I don't know. Talk to the medical experts. What are the medical experts on staff say? Day by day. Just we'll evaluate him, Dave. I mean, what difference does it make to me? What do you, do you think I'm going to read the MRI? That's not my job, so. It's there, they talk to you about it, right? Yeah, it's day by day. It's getting better day by day. See how easy it is tomorrow. Better than yesterday. Not as good as two days ago. <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to deal with him. I agree with Anna. I also think it's kind of amusing. Steve Nash. He and Kevin Durant. Are they cool or not? Are you guys cool? You're Steve Nash. Punch it. Well, we've moved past it. You know, I mean, we have a history. Um, you know, even when the report was out there, I never felt like it was black and white. Uh, we hadn't spoken. Um, so these things happen. They've happened many times in our league. Uh, people have gotten past it many times as well. And now we move forward and we're excited. And Kevin's been, you know, exceptional, not only in open gym, but in, in training camp, the way he's brought his energy, his focus, and his attitude. I think it's really rubbed off on the rest of the guys. We just had to talk, you know. We talked. He, I heard him out. He heard me out. We cleared the air. Um, and that was it. It wasn't even that long a conversation. You know, I think we, we were able to address the way we were feeling, the space we were in. I think the, the bottom line is we were all hurt. We've gone through so much adversity. And uh, we had high expectations. And then we're continually having players getting taken off the table and, and always suboptimal for our playoff chances. And I think it wore us down. And I think everyone in the organization felt it. It manifested itself the way it did, and we've gotten over it. I think the one thing that Steve Nash and Kevin Durant have going for them in this relationship that I think is frayed. I, I don't I don't believe Steve Nash when he says, you know, he's over it, whatever, we're cool. Um, I think that the one thing they have going for them is they, they're kind of used to the circus. It has been a revolving door of players and emotions. And, and I also think Steve Nash, having been a player in the league, helps here. Because I think he's probably dealt with teammates over the years and other personalities that maybe all weren't on the same page. Bo Nix, Oregon quarterback. He had a lot of love for his offensive linemen. Here's Bo Nix talking about the big guys. Punch it. The stat's crazy. We're the only team, the FBS, that hadn't allowed a sack. That's um, incredible through four games. Um, but it all goes to them. And it's, it's just... It's the leadership and the experience we have up front. You know, we have um, a bunch of uh, protection meetings, and we're all on the same page, and that, I think, has a lot to do with it. But it's just very um, – it's kind of a pride thing. You know, up front, they, they believe in themselves. They take pride in it. They 
are, are sure to um, kind of make the right right checks. And if something happens that's crazy, even if the, the, the times I've thrown it maybe been knocked down, they'll come back and say, man, that's our bad. we got to keep you up. And I'm like, that's awesome that they even think about that um, because I didn't think anything of it. It was just like a play to me. But they take such pride in the little things that even if I throw it and get knocked down, they still take it um, pretty harsh. So it's, I mean, it just speaks to their, their character and their um, competitiveness and the guys up front that we have. Look, uh, give the offensive line some credit because they have done a good job. But I think part of the reason why Bo Nix hasn't been sacked is Bo Nix. He tends to get rid of the ball. He's a good athlete. He's mobile. And I think that it, it part of it is Kenny Dillingham's offense. Uh, I was surprised that in week one against Georgia, he didn't get sacked. I was more surprised last week against a Washington State front seven that is very disruptive that he didn't get sacked. This is a source of pride. And I'm kind of curious now how long Oregon can go without Bo Nix taking a sack. But watch him this week as Oregon plays Stanford in a game that will happen at 8 o'clock on Saturday night. Keep an eye on Bo Nix. You tell me how much of it is the offensive line how much of it is he's a good athlete with good feet and he he knows how to not take a sack? Keep an eye on that. Dan Lanning found a Rocky reference. He was asked about the rain. He went to Sylvester Stallone. Punch it. Did you miss the rain? Yeah. <laughs> love it, love it, love it. I'm enjoying it. I, you know, uh, we, we talked to the team today about the difference in Rocky 1 and Rocky 3. Right, Rocky III's training with all the lights, you know, he's got all the, the uh, extra attention and the details, right? And we all know what happened in Rocky IV, he had to go to Russia to get his mind right, right? He had to go train in the woods, so we want to train in the elements. We want to do it the long, hard way, right? Drink eggs, right? The whole nine yards, that's what we want. Drinking eggs, training for Ivan Drago. Dan Lanning's a movie buff, in case you didn't know it. That's Punch It Audio. It's the best sound from all around. We'll have great guests again tomorrow on the show. Thanks to Ricky Williams, former Heisman winner, for coming on today. Josh Newman of the Salt Lake Tribune was fantastic. Jonathan Smith was awesome. Tomorrow, big guests again. Uh, The Bald Face Truth, not here for a long time, just a good time. Have a great night.